Hello, everyone, and welcome to a... I wanted to say the how many edition, but I have no idea. To the next installment of the Pioneer Perspective podcast. Um, joining me this week, as you can see by the fact that I have to awkwardly do the intro, is not Brad. Uh, but I am joined by uh, Playaway Admin and uh, Fires player that taught me that Yorion is a serpent. Uh, Epic. Epic, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Alex? Yeah, I'm I'm good, actually. Um spoilers are already making me tired but we'll uh, we'll talk about that later we got you on because we wanted to talk about enigmatic fires and we will because when we covered the challenges every time and, bas- and brad and i saw the enigmatic fires list we basically went like does not compute and we moved on and um you're our expert so we'll be sure to we thought uh, you suggested actually hey, do you want me to come on to uh, talk about fires one time and yeah Definitely. Yeah. However, as you pointed out, the challenges this week had some decks in it that were so crazy that we do actually have to cover the challenges a little bit too. Yeah, we do. I mean, I, I am I am very excited for one deck in particular. Um, so we'll run through them relatively quickly. We probably have quite a lot to say even in the early spoilers that we're talking about because we already have spoilers. And they spoiled some really spicy cards, but... First, we've moved on to the Saturday challenge, which was won by Azorius and Soul, which uh, I'm happy to see back in. Um, pretty much what we've come to expect off the decks right now, they are now Lurus decks because they no longer need Skilled Animator, Black Stuff of Waterdeep, and Soul Artifact, all that glitters. Uh, one Portable Hole for Ursa Saga. Wait, wrong format. Um, but one Shadow Spear in, uh, in the deck, Ginger Brute, Om- uh, what's it called? Ornithopter what you'd expect um second place was jeskai ascendancy and you pointed out when we were talking earlier that you felt like jeskai ascendancy's present has changed the format a little bit can you elaborate a little bit so i really think that with jeskai ascendancy coming to the forum especially as it's an older deck because we don't really get to see many new cards if any from the D set it's really kind of polarized the format in a way where we have a lot of aggro-based aggro based decks, a lot of combo, and some control decks that are just having more interaction, and it's kind of splitting the metagame more so than it has in past weeks. Yeah, so it, it reminds me a little bit, I mean, it, it probably terrifies people to say that, but when we were in the combo times in Pioneer... We felt like the decks that weren't combo, because this is evidently a combo deck, though it does have some grindy elements, that we kind of saw a similar thing going on, where you either had to be so fast to go under the combo or interact so much that you could reliably stop it. So kind of a similar thing going on here. Um, yeah, we can even see that in this in the second place deck of the Ascendancy. They're playing one Fire Impulse, one Radiant Flames, and... Two Escape to the Wilds. Escape to the Wilds is interesting. Yeah, I like... I mean, it, it does a similar thing that, like, Phoenix does, where it's like, these decks draw so many cards that they can get away with it, so they're just one Radiant fire, uh, Flames. It's like, yeah, it's, it's for aggro. Like, the one? Like, yeah. I only need yeah, one. <laughs> but I think it's the fact that it's, that a one-of made the list shows where the format's at right now. Yeah, that they're... That you kind of like, because you don't want it to be dead in the other matchup, so you can kind of only afford one. You can't have too many dead cards, that's what you mean. 
Yeah, but the fact that the, as we said, the meta has appeared to get a little bit faster and you have to interact a little faster. Yeah. Obviously, Silver Carrioted, also a really good anti-aggro card for a deck like this. Um, I think Patrick Sullivan from Star City Games has often talked about Silver Carrioted being potentially the best card against Burn because it stops all their Goblin Guides and stuff and they can't kill it. And it does accelerate your game plan all at the same time. Um, so obviously a great card for that. Um, I am sad that Jeskai Ascendancy has stopped running Dragonlord Ojitai. It was just there for like a week. And then, never mind. Card's actually not good enough. Yeah. Decks, decks become to be more and more refined. And when you when that happens, we have like less powerful cards. Like, t not powerful, more top-heavy cards. Yeah, yeah. I think we're saying, you know, that the uh, meta polarizes more, also pushes out cards like Ojutai that are just like value cards. Like, it's not even necessarily like a particular anti-control card. So it's just a value card. And you, you just don't have time for that now. Yeah. Um, then a deck that is definitely set up to to make we talk about the aggro side so here we've got burn in third place uh obviously eidolon be, is an absolute all-star in the uh ascendancy matchup i think literally the only spell that doesn't trigger it is treasure cruise and omnath and gigant i guess um yeah aside from that what you'd expect of burn one shock for wild slash the skull crack is in there um the sideboard has it's basically like 10 or 12 cards are always the same. Chain to the Rocks, Wording Vortex, Searing Blood, those cards. Rip Apart seems what, to be would... new. Which one uh, seems to be new? Rip Apart. Yeah, Rip Apart is actually an interesting one that uh, that's shown up in the sideboard, I guess. I mean, it deals with the Ascendancy. So yeah. uh, that's obviously a great upside. There's it. It's pretty good against the other aggro decks. You know, maybe if you're playing against another burn deck, you you know want to make sure to get out from under their Eidolon. It's also good uh, have, against Insoul. That too, and it's good against Fires. Yeah. Because it now it, it is actually a disenchant effect. Wear Terror probably being the most brutal one against uh Ensoul. When you get the wear and the terror. Yeah, when that comes up, but oh, they are running seven enchantments, so it can come up. And obviously, but those are like the key enchantments, because it's the oh, yeah. and the and the uh it's probably the only way you can deal with the Darksteel Citadel. Um, Darksteel Citadel has Indestructible. No, but I mean, you take the enchantment off and it stops being a creature. Oh, that's... That's that, I remember yeah. the end soul. Uh, fourth place, Niftalite. Um, and then the fifth place... This I love this deck so much. It's... It's mono-red goblins. And there's a couple of things that stand out to me against this deck. Uh, with this deck. First of all, it runs 39 creatures in the board. Uh, in the deck. 39 creatures, 21 lands. Done. That's it. It runs zero copies of Den of the Bugbear, which makes goblins. Which I think is a little sad. Uh, and also a little strange, but you do have some pretty strong three drops you want to go into, I suppose. Um, and if you want to play this deck on MTGO and apparently top eight a challenge, it's 9.78 ticks. Yeah. I think this deck... Oh also runs 21 lands, and is it getting up to 4 mana or 5, five lands do you need to activate then? 
Den, I think, is three and activated, but I'm not exactly sure. It's three in the red, so it costs five. It basically costs five mana to activate. Oh, yeah, you need. Yeah, you need to have five on the board. You're playing a 21 land deck. Yeah, and I've been trying Cave of the Frost Dragon in the humans deck, and I will say it doesn't really come up much. Yeah, well, the issue here is they're playing Conspicuous Snoop and Goblin Battle Cry Goblin as the menacing cards primarily with Hobgoblin Bandit Lord from the new Dungeon Dragon set to deal additional damage. Yeah, I guess Battle Cry Goblin has already works quite well as a uh, menacing a card. I've been I. I I completely overlooked this card. Uh, we talk in our top five. We talk about like Hobgoblin Bandit Lord. Yeah, that's cool to now have like a Lord that's Chieftain, but not quite Chieftain because that obviously gives haste. And I just completely glossed over Battlecry Goblin. It's like, this is actually a pretty good card. Yeah. Turn two also, Goblin, turn three, three drop, and then turn four, double pump. Yeah, exactly. Also just, uh, or even one drop and then this on two and then one drop pump. And because of the haste, you can attack, you get your Goblin. <laughs> yeah. So it's still online. It, and a haste enabler. He said, oh yeah, Chieftain would have really liked to have Chieftain because it's a haste enabler. And this this is also a haste enabler. So. A lot of powerful un- uncommons from Dungeon Dragons we're seeing. Yeah. Not so much uh, in the rares. Like, they've definitely pulled back on the power level. But the uncommons yeah, yeah. are still packing a punch. I, I think it's also an extent that uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms had zero vanilla creatures. And vanilla creatures tend to always be unplayable in uh, constructed formats. I'm not sure. I can't think of a deck that runs a vanilla creature. So if you're going to give abilities to all commons and uncommons, it's like sort of like if you throw darts blindly at a dartboard, if you just throw more darts, the chance is higher that you hit the dartboard. So I'm just happy yeah. none of the die roll cards made it. I also love how this sideboard is just more goblins. Well, you still have your dinosaur and an extra mountain for your control matchups. Yeah, yeah. So you had uh, Rampaging Frostodon, uh, the mountain. But then there's just 10 different goblins to pick from from your sideboard. Yep, all for different matchups and all are good in the certain situations. Yeah, Chain Whirler is... Uh, Brad would be laughing his ass off right now if he were here. Because we played yesterday and I was trying Ors of Humans. And he was playing red cards and I just kind of didn't think about it and i played a bunch of two ones and i just cast a chain whirler i just instantly lost the game and it's like oh yeah you didn't reveal luris this isn't burn so that wasn't a good time even that even after the that that previous podcast episode where you guys laughed about chain whirler i just i just wasn't thinking about it granted i had only played just three two ones at that point <laughs> and my hand was like seven two ones so it's like yeah i gotta play some of this so i don't think it would have changed uh, it changed knowing it was a chain whirler deck it's like yeah I'm just, all my creatures have one toughness, okay? Leave me alone. <laughs> um, go a little bit faster for the other things to talk about. Sixth place is Niftalite. Seventh place is Phoenix. Um, not running the maximized velocity still, but one copy of Kazul's Fury. So you could just fling your Drake, which is just another way to give it haste. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. I think the idea behind that is basically give you a crackling Drake double strike. Yeah, that works too, of course. You get to untap, you just attack first and then fling it. Yeah. Really sweet. Um, then eighth place, also Phoenix. Ninth place, also Phoenix. Tenth place, you know, Chonky Red. Here we do see the Den of the Bugbear, Goblin Chain Warders, Bone Crusher Giants, Chandra Torch of Defiance. Uh, just 
just a chunkier red. Yeah, I mean, it does still only top out at four. It doesn't go up to five for a card. Yeah, no like Glorybringer. Bringer. Big sad. Yeah. I love Glorybringer so much. Chandra is such a finisher. Yeah, Chandra is a is an amazing card. Um, 11th Le place, we... Oh, yeah, sorry. Mono green. 11th place is Mono Green. It's red green, but that's because Ryan Burning Trimestary and Heaven Earth. I mean, Heaven and Earth, this is just Windstorm, but you might as well run Heaven and Earth. Like, there's no... There's no way... Um, okay, there is a way you can activate Earth. But that's if you play a Burning Tree Emissary, keep the red mana, and use the green mana for another Burning Tree Emissary. And now you can play your card that does damage to creatures without flying, which you've just played two of. So... I guess it has a higher CMC in your deck, if that matters. I guess. I don't know. You're probably, you're probably just running it because it's quote-unquote strictly better. Yeah. I mean, it can come up that you go Burning Tree, Burning Tree, Earth for, I don't know, Earth for one against humans to, like, build your own Chain Whirler. So you might as well. have you, Now, I don't know why you'd bring in Windstorm against humans, but... No, you bring it in against spirits. Yeah, exactly. That's where it's... There's the instant speed one-sided board wipe. Yeah. And they well, does it even get spell quell at that point? Well, you have to if you do it for, for x equals four. Yeah, you, you can queller it for four, and then they yeah. can't queller it. Yeah, and it's at instant speed, which is the main kicker against spirits, because they'll obviously be flashing creatures in on your end step, and then you can actually ca catch them off guard. I guess the question is: Are they still playing selfless spirit, or have they switched off to it? No, they sometimes, still sometimes there's usually like two in the deck. I think. Yeah. It's not ideal, but it's it it is pretty good, right? There there's no board wipe that works in this deck other than this. Then there is uh your baby in twelfth no, place. There's enigmatic no, fires. Right? This is it's not just... no, this is not no. enigmatic fires. No, it's just it's just fires. It's wish fires. Oh yeah, look, running comas, you can suck your Yori onto it. <laughs> You're never yeah, gonna live that the... down. That's great. No, it's just, I was just so surprised. Yeah. I, it's just, in my head, it was always like, oh yeah, that's Sky Whale. <laughs> so, and it's like, oh, but let's look at its actual creature type, Bird Serpent. Okay, sure. I guess for the people who haven't watched it, um, could you give some context to that? Yeah, yeah, true. This is maybe, maybe it becomes too much. It's long, uh, long enough ago now. Um, I think, how many invitationals ago was this? Three? Two or three. This day? So yeah. four to six months ago. Yeah, four to six months ago, uh, we had our Invitational, and I think this was the one that ran for like eight and a half hours and caused us yep. to reconsider the entire Invitational structure, <laughs> thanks to you and Scratch, who I think had a two-hour match one. Yes. Between Adigmatic Fires and Blue-Eyed Control. I think it was in that matchup where you had Koma out. Game and, two. Yeah, game two. You had just played Koma. Uh, you had Iorion on the field. You just played coma and did he quicken a verdict at least you you didn't have an actual serpent to yes yeah, so, so what happened that turn is the previous turn i cast a yorian i did my yorian value stuff because he was playing just a blue a, a traditional blue white control with sphinx's revelation the following turn i had enough lands with fire's invention to cast a distended mind bender which made him on cast trigger allowed me to see his hand um, the four significant cards there was Sphinx's Rev, Shark Typhoon, Quicken, and 
supreme verdict. I ended up taking the first, I took the first two of Sphinx's Rev and Shark Typhoon because I just couldn't deal with those. And I said, sure, I have a Serpent. Let's see if, how he plays it. And then I just play Coma. I move to end step. And then he just does, he attempts to do Quicken Supreme Verdict. I say in response to Supreme Verdict, I sack Yori onto Coma to give Coma Indestructible. Yeah. And I just completely, because it says sacrifice a Serpent, which Coma makes itself, but you know. Apparently, there's also just one floating outside of the deck. Um, yeah, it was we'll mentioned before the, the day before the day of the invitation. We were talking about that. So, oh, oh yeah, Coma's a Serpent, so that's that, that's a fun interaction. Which, you know, and then you're probably like, oh, that's a cute thing that'll probably never come up, but it's good to know, and then match one. Yeah. Um, then we see 13th place, the deck that is always called Hidden Strings, um, Lotus Field. It's been creeping up more recently, though. Yeah, sadly. I don't like being thought distortion. It's it, it's not my favorite way to play Magic. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't get to play it. Uh, see this deck going up to multiple copies of Dig Through Time, but we'll... More copies of Dig Through Time than I've seen before. It's usually like one, which feels more like a grab with your ultimatum, but this isn't actually an ultimatum deck. This is more down the like, traditional route of just eventually going for a... Um, Fae of Wishes, grabbing a J, strong your deck somehow in one of the 15 ways you can draw your deck. And then you could probably piece together a win from there. Somehow, yeah. maybe. I mean that's what I mean that's what Lowe's Field does. Yeah, it just it just does things and then the game's suddenly over. Yeah. I think for half my Lotus opponents, I hardly know how they win, because I'll just concede at one point. <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll fight through it for as long as possible, but at one point you just have to say, okay, I can't, you have enough value. Yeah, when, when it, you go, yeah, sorry. You, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, you just have enough value. I'm just going to concede this. It's typically off of a favorite, which is getting something, and they say, uh, can I deal with that? No, next game. Hope. Yeah, exactly. And cry. Especially the one with the ultimatum, where it's like, it's like omniscience, pour over the pages, peer into the abyss. It's like, yeah, you know what? And if, I'm not gonna let you count what half your deck is. Well, no, you, you give them pure. You, you you don't allow them to have in that. No, you case, you, you pure, give them omniscience and poor, in the hope that they break. Yeah, which and then they never in that do. Case, yeah, and and you hope to have an answer to the omniscience. Um, fourteenth place, we see uh, Gruel Bard class. Um, distinction I talked about before, where we have the level two decks and the level three decks. Uh, this is a little bit more of the level 3 deck variety. We've got Xenoghost the Reveler, um, and four four copies of that, four copies of Mox Amber, uh, two copies of Arlencourt, which allows you to have some wins. There's the one copy of Rishgar, which I hadn't realized until this point. I was like, oh yeah, that can give you some mana, but all your legends enter with counters. So they all tap for green with Rishgar out. So strictly better Landwar Elves, I guess? Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also like in these decks, we see them go up to like, we're seeing your three copies of Ovia Pashiri, like just, and two Zergo Bell Striker. Just really want to have that Mox Amber online like as soon as possible. Um, which makes a lot of sense. Well, the dream, yeah. Well, the dream with this deck, like opening turn is like Mox Amber, Land, Ovia, Oath of Nyssa, and then following turn, Bard Class, and just go off from there. Yeah, exactly. I think that could legitimate. I mean, you need like basically perfect draw, but I think that like 
legitimately could get you like turn three wins. Yeah, it's probably the nut draw, but nut draws are why you play. I mean, it doesn't need. I think the actual nut draw might net you a turn two win or a turn one win on the draw with like multiple mox amber. No, because you need. No, because you can only you can't get your two colors, so it can only be turn two with mox amber. Yeah, because you also you also have to make it up to level two, which is tough on turn one. You could probably do a turn two, most likely turn three. Yeah, yeah. Um, then fifty place we see Rakdos, which is Rakdos Arcanist slash Pyromancer. Um, the world will never decide what to actually call it. It's Rakdos Arcanist. You're with Brad then. <laughs> yes. No, I think Arcanist makes all the sense, but. It's just very reminiscent. It's the closest it. thing to vintage, considering that they don't True. have Arcanist. Are there cards? It's is that restricted in vintage? No, they banned it. I thought. I think that's in legacy. I don't think it's banned in vintage. Oh. No, then. But, it's, oh, then it's legacy. I was talking about. Oh, yeah. my bad. No worries. Um, I don't think there's a lot of vintage players to get upset. So don't worry yeah. about it. They're like, you called my format legacy. Me and the five other people <laughs> I enjoy this with. I mean, if well, I watch vintage, I think it's cool. But like, I don't know. I'm not made out of money. And yeah. nobody plays it in my area, so it's not like I could proxy it up. Um, then we see 16th place. This is Jeskai... Control. Is this just straight up Jeskai Control? Yeah, it's running Magma Spray and Scorching Dragonfire. It's its burn-based removal. Uh, that's pretty sweet. Uh, expressive iteration, two portable hole, two main deck rest in peace. Someone doesn't like, uh, someone doesn't like graveyard strategies. I, this person does not like graveyard strategies with magma spray and dragonfire <laughs> as well. Yeah, two magma spray, four scorching dragonfire, two recipes. This person has lost lots of games to mono black aggro. And it's like I am, I'm not having this. I also that shows where the meta game is as well. I think most decks are using the graveyard right now. Yeah, there is there is obviously a lot of graveyard stuff going around. We see the Rakdos deck, the. Um... Even the um, Any deck running the Lotus decks, yeah, Dick the Time, often have Balagat recovery. Yeah, all the decks with Delve spells are slowed down a lot. Slows down Phoenix. Yeah, so that's probably why this deck is playing a one of Sphinx's Rev. Yeah, I'm just a little bit in a thing of like, there are a lot of decks that use the graveyard, but if you look at some of the most played decks, with like Burn, Burn doesn't really use it. Niv doesn't really use it. Spirits doesn't really use it. I don't know if I'd want two dead cards in those matchups in game one. But, I mean, I don't I don't 5-1 a challenge. So. Yeah, I think the... T I think 8th place got in on a 5-1, and 5-1 goes all the way down to like 18th, so there was a lot of breakers that happened. This is... This Jeskai Control Dex has two copies of Aurelia, the war leader in the sideboard. That is... ambitious, I'll put it that way. It's hilarious if you've got a couple of sharks, but imagine you're playing against a control deck and they randomly drop Aurelia the War Leader and they take two combat steps and you're dead. I don't even think you bring that in against control. I think you're bringing your disputes, your spell, and your spellbinders. No, I mean you're playing against control. So like I don't know, this is probably against oh. this is against combo or something. Do you I think they try and just race combo? No, it comes on down on turn six and it attacks for six. Um, I mean, maybe, but by then you have your Absorbs and your Dovin's Vetoes. I would think this comes down more against aggro-based decks, just as a top-end finisher. I guess. Right? Or, yeah. no, well, it does have haste, and it does deal 6 damage when ETB, so... Yeah, and it, it, it's got the Vigilance, so it can attack and block. But I just look at this, I'm like, man, I'd probably just, like, want a Lyra or something. Well, if I think I'm, the... If I'm bringing this card in for aggro, then... Yeah, well... Then it's probably not for aggro because it's six mana and it doesn't have the words lifelink on it. 
but it's probably yes. it it does it is a six mana well it's a six mana deal six at haste and some decks can definitely have a lot of sorcery speed decks and have issues with that especially in the air yes, especially if you if you cycle i can imagine you go into this so on turn four you cycle a shark for three two no turn four is uh, two no i mean on turn five sorry you have five mana you cycle the shark for three you untap you play aurelia and that's 12 yeah with the shark and aurelia so maybe you cycle the shark early gonna for some chip damage you just maybe it's like for niv i could definitely imagine niv post board looks at this card and it's like how do i kill this <laughs> yeah i brought in my what... mystical disputes and dovid's vetoes well why are they playing a six mana angel <laughs> yeah anyway that is invasive surgery is also interesting yeah invasive surgery is really cool uh i guess that's counter target sorcery spell and then delirium is you pick it apart from the entire deck. There's not. There's not a lot of. It's really hard to get delirium in this deck. It doesn't actually run any fabled passage, so it's not going to get its lands in the graveyard anytime soon. There's like. I think you have to be aggressive if you're cycling of the triomes. I think that's how you get to it. And then you've got two enchantments. So six copies. You've got two artifacts. You got six enchantments. Then obviously instant and sorceries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry. You've got six enchantments, but two different enchantments. Uh, oh, yeah, also, I'm going to assume I'm gonna assume you take Rest in Peace out in the matchup where you bring your own Delirium card in. Yeah. So you've got even less of that. Yeah, but your Shark Typhoons, you want to aggressively shuffle. So yeah. cycle. So, I mean, you have Teferi, but Teferi is a kill on site. Planeswalker, you have your instances and sorceries. That's three already. If you cycle Shark Typhoon, you already have four. Yeah. And if you cycle a land, that's five. And you, also, you even have a Needle Spires, which is just a two-one. Well, that that <laughs> I was about to say you could almost kill it yourself, but all your removal exiles, so you can't. Um... Yeah, but it's the fact that you can like trade. <laughs> yeah, it... you, you can trade with Needle Spires. Yeah, it like it 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 dies if someone looks at it funny. So that's your land of your graveyard. Yeah. So it's not unfeasible, it's just going to be very difficult. Yeah. Um, then 17th place, Niftalite. 18th place, Mono Black Aggro. Uh, I want to hurry it along a little bit, because we've already been going for almost half an hour. Um, mono Green Planeswalkers, kind of, but it's the Vorinclex version, opening up the sideboard to just have a little bit more in there, rather than the Karn versions. Um, stop me if you run into something interesting that I am overlooking. Um, 20th place, Jeskai Ascendancy. 21st place, we see... Is this Salt Control? Control? Yeah. Yeah. One Hydra Crosses, three Kalidus in the main. Yikes. Y yeah. That's gonna, that's gonna mess up some aggro player out there. And then two Goblinks in the side. Oof. God, that that card has I mean I talked about how I overlooked Goblin Warlord I don't think there's a card in like the history of this game I've overlooked more than Goblank I was thinking I oh mean, yeah it's the Oomphteen's Mind Rot with Upside which like whatever that's, those cards are never playable and then hmm <laughs> this one was actually pretty good yeah this one's actually really good 22nd is Blue Steel Blue Steel oh I am a it is just mono blue and soul artifact, which means it yeah. is actually running skilled animator again. But this is, I think this is an interesting take of what we talked about earlier, where we said that the aggro decks were getting faster and the control decks were getting more interactive. 
But sticking to mono blue uh, means you can run 13 islands. It also makes your deck actually pretty cheap. Almost half this deck's cost is just Moonivolt. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to run two stub in the main and four metallic rebuke. Which probably is going to just end up buying you a turn or two against control decks and then, I mean, against the combo decks and then they're just, they're just dead. Yeah. I mean, a 1-1 one, one artifact creature of flying and that scries one ETB that sets up for your future turns in Silver Raven. Yeah, I was, I, I, I'm happy to see this one. I played against um, Esper and Soul the other day and they ran Silver Raven and I wasn't sure if it felt right in that deck, but it definitely feels more right in this one. Yeah. So, would this deck want um, Springleaf Drum? Or is it just too low to the ground for it? And too sideways? I think you don't... I think you don't need Springleaf Drum, because Springleaf Drum in the, in the other decks is... It's acceleration, but it's also just color fixing. Which yeah. this deck doesn't need. Right? In, in those decks, it's, it's sometimes one of the few ways you can get red mana for your Beaumont Courier, for example. Um, this deck just doesn't care about that. And I think the curve is pretty low. I think, generally speaking, you're probably going to play like a Steel Overseer on turn two, and then it just, it just one drops galore. Except yeah. for a couple cards. In Soul Effects, a two drop, Metallic Rebuke is going to cost one mana most of the time in this deck. Yeah, consider, I mean, Stone Girl Serpent is cheating to average CMC, but the average CMC in this deck is probably like, I don't know, like 1.2. This is a really, like... And it's still a 21-land deck, but that's because of Mutiful, so you, you've got to sink. Yeah. We, this It does have in the Antiquities War, which this is probably a really good deck for that. Yeah, this, this deck looks amazing for the Antiquities War. I've been um, uh, for reference. It's a saga. Chapters one and two is um, look at the top five, put an artifact card into your hand, rest on bomb in the order, and then third chapter is artifact creatures um, become five artifacts you control become five five creatures until end of turn. Yeah, I've um, you know I've sometimes mentioned that I have that. I haven't played it in forever and I haven't tuned it, but the mono blue uh, artifact combo deck with Power Stone Shard, and this is in the sideboard for uh, control matchups, and sometimes. This just one-shots people. So you just drop this early, and then on chapter three, they're they're just dead. Because they get like a couple of random dorky artifacts and two Darksteel Citadels coming at their face, and they just you just instantly lose. It's pretty sweet. This deck runs 36 artifacts. Yeah, so you run and and the Antiquities War itself looks for artifacts. And because the CMC yeah. is so cheap you will have probably played every artifact that you've drawn before the third chapter goes off. So you could very easily sit on like six, seven, eight artifacts by the time this goes off. Yeah. Actually, I lied. It's 32 because I forgot to count Mutavolt. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's more than <laughs> half the deck, which is where you want to be in a synergistic style deck. And then we see the Lotus Field list. Now, with Emergent Ultimatum, that's kind of the split we're seeing in those. Some are Emergent Ultimatum, some are not. Uh, this one, one of its main conditions is sideboard, and it seems to be its main win condition is just go for two approach. Let's get the approach out your board, cast one, goes to your deck, tutor it up with Mastermind's Acquisition or just draw a billion cards, have it again, cast it in the same turn, and ta-da! 
Yeah, that doesn't work. Just Ugin's your opponent out of the game. Yeah, exactly. Like so, there's some matchups that Ugin just wins. Like I love how this is like it has the win condition of approach the second son and pure misery, <laughs> by just Ugin minus your opponent's board is empty. You've got a planeswalker out, and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, I know we mentioned earlier that this deck only runs one dig through time, while one of the previous builds was running three dig through times. I, that's probably due to emergent ultimatums, so you don't have hands with like two or three emergent ultimatums plus two or three dig through times. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll probably get a bit too top heavy at that point. And that also makes this deck, it does run four Balakut recovery, but to a certain extent, it makes the deck a little bit less graveyard reliant. Like, I feel like this deck is probably pretty okay at winning through a rest of peace. Like, you can probably pull yeah. it off. Uh, also seen the Baral. Like th it's only one Baral, but Baral in the main too. Yeah. Like, for me, this is not a deck I I even want to consider bringing in Graveyard Hate. Yes, it slows them down, but it doesn't stop them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's I, I feel like I feel like Lotus often lets people, uh, like, leads people to bring in suboptimal sideboard cards because you just don't have enough slots to prepare for this one deck that has, like, really weird uh, hate cards against it. Like, uh, Damping Sphere. Is like good nowhere except for this matchup. So you often end up bringing in like, oh yeah, I've got rest in peace for this other matchup. And like, I've got dispel or something for against control, which I guess they've got some instance and my fatal push doesn't do anything. And people always end up bringing in like these weird cards that I think this deck just kind of rolls. Yeah. They're always so Makes well sense. prepared for, um, for Dampic Sphere that I feel like that's not even a good sideboard card anymore against this deck. I think if you're expecting a lot of Lotus, I'd probably just be playing something else. Like some other card. Think Deafening Silence, Narset, Notion Thief. Um, something in that nature that's just a different angle to attack them on. Other than just, alright, cool, grab Wilt. Destroy your Damping Sphere, cool. Can we play now? Yeah, but the issue there is they, they always run Void Snare as well in their sideboard, it looks like. So they can just bounce whatever it is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. They also always have Void Snare. That's that's why I've been liking Notion Thief so much for the matchup, because it's instant speed. Yeah. So you can do it in response to one of their draw spells, and then even if they bounce it, you've probably got rid of so many resources for that turn that it probably allows you to untap, and then it's just back in your hand. So, okay, cool. I'll just play it again. Uh, 24th place, we have the uh, Gruel Bart last deck again. 25th is Phoenix. 26th is Jeskai Ascendancy, 27th is Phoenix, 28th is Azorius and Soul, um, with a Smite Red Splash, just for the card by force in the sideboard, which is a pretty sweet card in the mirror. For people who don't know, by force is just X and red destroy X artifacts. That's basically build your own Shatterstorm but it's one-sided. You do have the... Is Vandal Blast? Yeah, Vandal Blast is legal in this format, right? Just one red, but it's four and a red to overload, and it just destroys all artifacts you don't control. It's legal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Cyclonic Rift is, and it's, it's with the same mechanic. And Mizium Mortis. Oh, yes, Mizium Mortis is legal, too. Um, then in 29th place, uh, lived by Claudio, this is just... I think this is four-color elementals. Yeah, it's four-color mutate elementals with a... Uh, oh, some of these cards I haven't read in a very long time. Uh, with migration... Um, 
Migratory Greathorn, which is just a mutate creature, two and a green to mute it onto something. Whenever it mutates, you rampant growth, search for basic. Uh, Parcel Beast, which is basically just gives a creature an activated ability for one tap Risen Reef trigger. Basically, look at the top card if it's a land, put it onto battlefield, otherwise you can put it in your hand. Uh, Yasharn, then the card which I really need larger font to read. Auspicious Sterix, which is an elk beast, a 6 6, and it's a 6, it's 5 mana for a 6 6, or 6 mana to mutate. And when it mutates, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile X permanents, where X is the number of times this creature has mutated, and put those permanents onto the battlefield. This is just like teamer value pile. Uh, four color value pile. Oh yeah, four. Because four you're running, color. Like, yeah, yeah, four voice, color. Omnath, Yashan. Yeah, for some reason I think elementals. I think teamer, but it's and funny enough, it is a four color elemental pile in Omnath's uh, four color value pile in Omnath's colors, <laughs> and it runs no Omnath. No, it runs Omnath. Oh, I'm just completely looking over it. Oh, there's so <laughs> many four drops in this deck that it's halfway to creature list. Four drops or higher. Yeah, there is actually Omnath. I was thinking, like, that sounds completely crazy to me. Um, Only 33 lands, though, in, a, in an 80-card deck. Yeah. But you're running to eight dorks, but still. Yeah, it's relatively low lead card. I do... Because Claudio tweeted about this list, and I think he tweeted that, like, he lost or he struggled a bit because Parcel Beast is bugged, but I didn't actually see what the bug was, so I don't know if it was a meme or um, if it was actually that Parcel Beast was bugged, but it's Modo. This is a card that was in standard while we got, well, Arena already existed, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was bugged. Then the sideboard, just value things you'd expect. Uh, some hate, Graveyard, uh, Grafdigger's Cage, Damping Sphere, then Resting Peace, we've got Dovin's Veto, Knight of Autumn, Mystical Dispute, Elspeth Conquer's Death, and Six Mana Chandra, the Awakened Inferno, just to screw over control players. Um, 30th place, we have Junt Citadel. 31st place, we have the um, Hidden Strings deck, the Lotus Field deck. It always throws me off that they call it Hidden Strings, and then I somehow forget what the deck is. Um, and 32nd place, we have Mono Black Aggro with a pretty stock list. Yep. Um... Quick race through the Sunday challenges. Again, stop me if there's something interesting to point out. Uh, first place, Band Spirits. Second place, is it Phoenix? Third place, uh, Mono Green Devotion with uh, Vorinclex again. Uh, fourth place is Mono Black Vampires. Uh, not the weird mash we saw last week that still ran uh, Rankle and Spawn of Mayhem. This is just straight up Mono Black Vampires. Uh, fifth place, we have Rakdos Arcanist. This time, it is definitely Arcanist, because it runs more copies of Arcanist than Young Pyromancer. Um, sixth place, we have Demir Control. It is running two Narset in the main. Yeah, two Narset in the instead, main. Instead of the side, and this is pilot, This was piloted by Harry13, who is yeah. a prominent blue-black control player. Yeah, he had... Never... Quick look, was he? Um, the first pilot, I don't know if it was with Harry 13, but I think it was, but I'm unsure. 
Um, I also see Hyperlift Animation. I think it is. The first Pioneers did a podcast episode just on Blue Black Control. And yeah, I, and they, they had on Harry 13. Yeah, they had him on. Yeah, yeah. I listened to that I, one. I haven't watched, I haven't listened to it, but they do have him on. Yeah, I uh, I listened to that episode and I thought it was a uh, it was a pretty good breakdown of just uh, it, it definitely made me change my deck um, with some of the things like what they have on. I it's a one of I love the Narset's reversal in the sideboard because it's so fun against thought distortion because you put it back in their hand and then you thought distortion them back. Like I can imagine this is hilarious against Lotus, but if you're like, oh yeah, I'll get my safety policy, it's like no, you don't. <laughs> no. I need to dig though, because this card is expensive, but I do have it somewhere. It's only seven bucks, at least in the, in the US. I mean, I still find it a lot for a counter spell that sees basically no play outside of Commander. Uh, but Commander, yeah, that's fair. I just remember. I, mean, I do this. have a copy in my Commander deck. I just remember this from. Uh... Yeah, I know. I know you do, because you one shot <laughs> me with your Calamites with your infinite copies. But um, I remember Narset's reversal for. Is it Rise of the Dread Horde? That was basically the Rise of the Dark Realms that was in War of the Spark Standard that just reanimated like as much shit from the graveyard as you felt like. Um, I think it's Command the Dread Horde is what it is. Yeah, Command the Dread Horde. Yeah, Command the Dread Horde, which is just six mana. You get as much stuff out of your graveyard as you want. Creatures and Planeswalkers, but you do lose life equal to the total CMC. You don't lose life, you're dealt the damage in case you have waste scale. Oh, yeah, you're dealt damage. Uh, also, is one, probably my favorite Jim Davis video where he loses to Sparky <laughs> in Arena. Because he's trying this out and he's thinking, hey, if I pull up the Wanderer, which prevent damage dealt to me, does it prevent the damage dealt by the Dreadhorde? But it doesn't. So he got one shot and he lost to Sparky, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. And I think Sparky just said something like, ah, Shook, better luck next time. And it's like, that must be insulting. <laughs> like, shut up, Sparky, little shit. Um, then seventh place, we see Jeskai Control. I think, yeah, Jeskai Control. We yeah. see the One Sphinx, uh, Sphinx's Revelation, One Search for Ascanta, Narset of the Ancient Ways, which is a super cool card. Aside from that, expressive iteration. I, I I think this deck, kind of like the other deck, kind of being carried by the power of expressive iteration. Like a card we've yeah. seen people try in basically every shell that runs blue and red mana. It's like, yeah, let's just put an expressive iteration in there. See what happens. And then we have a deck that has just evolved since last week. Yeah, yeah we see the, the mono... Uh, it used to be a mono white blink. This is Esper blink, but we did already see Esper blink a couple of times um, in previous weeks. It wasn't all mono white. But... No, there was blue white, and then they just decided that we should add another color, so we add black. I I do remember from like one or two weeks ago seeing Basilica Bellhorn show up in one of these oh. lists, but uh, they were mostly blue white and mono white, and I think the other one was Orzov. I know they just decided just. Stick them both together. Yeah. And now we're this back deck to... does have Moonbless Click, and it runs a small enchantment to the package, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it it's got some interesting ones there with like the the one rest in peace, which starts making a lot more sense if you're able to tutor for it in game one. Uh, the one detention sphere, one trial of ambition, one omen of the sun, one cast out, one Elspeth conquers death, 
And then the other enchantments that aren't one-offs are just four Omen of the Sea and three Oath of Gaia. Just value town. Uh, Yorion, Charming Prince, Loop. Yorion as your companion, but also three Yorion on the deck. So You can also do loops with, um, I believe, ECD with... Um, no, you can't, because it... Never mind. I forget that Terry, Teferi Time Raveler is not in the format anymore. Yes. 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 <laughs> Ninth place, Mono Red Aggro. Um, the larger version again, Boat Crusher Giant, Goblin Chainwater, Chandra. Um... I feel like this is definitely the type of deck that just preys on all these low-to-the-ground aggro decks because it does make its combo matchup arguably worse um, by not being just straight-up like Boros Burn. But I feel decks like Mono Black or Burn or um, other aggro decks might really struggle against this, especially just the power of Goblin Chain Warner. I think just wins you a lot of matchups. Yeah, and then you have your Brave for your in-soul matchup as well on yeah. the sideboard. So, and four Warning Vortex, four Rampaging Frostodon, because life gain is not allowed in these matchups. Um, then, a deck I am a little surprised we've seen fall off so much, but it is back with at least one copy, and it is Indomitable Creativity, the Jeskai deck that relies on Sage of the Falls, and the Locust Gods basically draw as many cards as you want, try not to deck yourself, and then makes Locusts equal to, equal to the amount of damage, it, uh, equal to the amount of cards it's drawn that turn, and then swing for game. Pretty the fact that this is a combo deck that fights on a slightly different axis than others is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like the... Um, yeah, I, I like what this deck tries to do. It's... Very punishing to tap out decks because it threatens like this one card win uh, oftentimes. But the issue is it doesn't do that till turn five. Yeah, yeah, that's probably like the biggest problem where you, you need to be interacting but also be making your tokens. And I feel like You're it's... like maybe one turn to like put out your tokens. Yeah. So I do feel like it's a deck that... Um... It runs into the issue that it's pretty easy to throw a wrench in their combo plan and their backup plan is there but not very good yeah and especially it, it being an 80 card deck with Yorion as a companion yeah so it becomes like a bad just guy control deck yeah exactly and then it, it just starts like if you manage to like use a extraction effect get rid of the locust god they're just doing like Elspeth Sun Champion secure the waste like token beatdown. And that's that's just not very good. Um eleventh place we see Blue Eyed and Soul. I mean it's noted as Jeskai because of Wear Terror, but Blue Eyed and Soul. Twelfth place, Jeskai Control again. Um funny enough. This is the same list as the previous week as the no, previous the, day. The other one had Dick Through Time. And this one just has zero copies of Dick Through Time. Well, this this version has Aurelia in the sideboard. Oh, yeah, there's also one with Aurelia. Is this the actual same list? Um, it's very easy to find out because I could just say expand decks. Yeah, it's the, it's the exact same. And type in Aurelia. Oh, yeah, that, that deck actually also had zero copies of Dick Through Time. 
So probably going to be a relevant list to remember come the next set. Spoiler for when we talk about spoilers. Yeah. Um, 13th place is Blue, White and Soul. Um, 14th place, Lotus. 15th is... Is this the... It's Claudio again. Yeah, oh, it's Genesis Ult. Yeah, it's uh, Claudio trying another, having another go at four-color piles. And this time, bringing out Genesis Ultimatum again. Yeah. He chose to play with the same core. He just chose what the payoffs were. Yeah, exactly. From what I can tell. Yeah, we see, like, the two mana dorks still playing a Yorion deck. Uh, the, the sort of two play sets of mana dorks. Uh, Omnath, Yasharn, good for certain matchups. Grove Spiral, Expressive Iteration. But then... He preferred to just play the bingo, I guess. Uh, play the lottery card with uh, Genesis Ultimatum. Which can always be anywhere between ramp 5 and win the game. Well, imagine you get like triple agent of that. Um, then we see Mono Black Aggro running... No, is this right? Vampires? Oh no, Mono Black Vampires, oops. It's yeah. only one callous blood mage. Yeah, it threw me off. <laughs> Yeah, the the one callous blood mage, which makes it not a completely generic vampires list. So I was I was thrown off guard. Got one faceless haven, and that then makes you run sixteen snow covered swamps. That is a very expensive faceless haven. <laughs> Card itself is not that bad, but then you need sixteen snow covered swamps. Always. Yeah, but this puts you in the middle for um, drawing your additional cards and having the, those extra threats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With it's, Castle Octoine. It's obviously good, but compared to like you, it was the same when we had the blue-white, the uh, mono-blue spirits deck for a short while, which was basically a budget deck, but because you needed Snow Islands for Ascendant Spirit, I think like 70% of that deck's cost was its snow-covered islands. Pretty silly. Then 17th place, we see in Soul. 18th place, Lotus Field. 19th, Band Spirits. 20th, Rectos Arcanist. 21st, Junt Citadel. 22nd, Junt Citadel. Um, 23rd, Lotus. 24th, Lotus. 25th, Niv. 26th, um, Junt Citadel. 27th, Phoenix. 28th, Junt Citadel. Uh, 29th, straight up Mono Green Stompy. With the back and forth between Surak, the Huntcaller, and Galta. I I'm happy to see Galta again. I love this card so much. Yeah. That's... And it looks feasible to get Galta out on turn 4. Yeah, definitely. It's, um... It is interesting where it runs... It runs Surak and Galta. It does actually run Collected Company, but it runs uh, only three instead of the um, four, obviously, that you'd often see. Um, 20... I mean, you're running 12 non... 12 of your things you can't hit, excluding lands, and you're running 21 lands. Yeah, so you got 27 hits, though I never really consider dorks to be hits because they're, they're really shit Coco hits. So that leaves you with 19 hits, which on average roughly means every Coco is decent. Um, yeah. Then 30th place, we see Jeskai Ascendancy. 
31st place, there is Jeskai Control again. Yeah, Jeskai Control. Yep. Pretty different deck here. We do see the deck through time. Prismari Command, Justice Strike as a removal spell. Um, Narset Parter of Veils. Uh, one Search for Skanta, the Shark Typhoons. A lot of things you'd expect, but a slightly different take on it. Happy to see that all these decks that run some Narsets have just started running Commit to Memory rather than Days Undoing, because Days Undoing is a terrible magic card, and Commit to Memory is actually a good magic card. So pretty happy yeah, to see that. Yeah, I think you can use it as an interaction spell early on, and then at the towards, towards the late game, you just use it as a wheel effect to refill your hand. Yeah, like the the I feel like Commit to Memory... Days Undoing feels like sort of like you're sometimes want to have a combo maybe and like screw your opponent out of a couple of cards for commit commit itself is a pretty good spell and memory is just gravy like yeah sometimes you're gonna have the nar set the memories in your graveyard and you're like yeah i'll just you know make you discard four i draw five like sometimes it's that but the times when it's not it's not a dead card and yeah. then 32nd place is Niftalite. Now, overall, uh, Epic, what do you make of the meta game at this point? It's extremely fast. It's much faster than it has been, and a lot of your mid-range-based strategies aren't going to do as well because of how it's divulged into aggro, combo, and control. Yeah, so you see even like Niv... Is Niv is there? Not in the presence it was before, but I, I still feel like Niv is just like a reasonable choice. Because Niv is just a pile of magic cards that just work. Yeah. But Niv, I think, always has the upside because it's based on Bring to Light. You can have a lot of one-offs in your deck to target things because you're based this toolbox-based strategy, kind of similar to Enigmatic Fires. Um it you can make it work in almost every meta. Just because yeah. against, like, you see Niftalite, oh, you're playing against Mono Black, oh, let's just get, like, Blood Baron or Fiscopa. Or I'm playing against Lotus Field, I'm just going to grab my Extraction Effect in game one. Um, same for Jeskai Ascendancy. Like, if you just take them off the Jeskai Ascendancy in game one, they have to start grinding you out. And you're playing Niv, so th that's your job. So you're, they're not going to win that. And I feel like that always gives Niv some chance, but kind of like... Niv already pushes out most other mid-range strategies because it's just better than them. But now even the metagame as a whole is pushing out mid-range strategies. Yeah. I will say the only deck that went undefeated um, on, in the Sunday Challenge was Rakdos Arcanist, which came in fifth. In Twist Play, it went undefeated. I mean, I, I know... I know I am extremely picky with my definition of mid-range, but I always consider it's a yeah, bit. No, I'm just talking that as a side note. Yeah, not yeah, as yeah. Mid-range, yeah. It's like it's the rectal is almost I a control to deck. Mention that. Like, yeah, it is. It's a control deck with some aggro elements that you can get out, get have games done quickly. But a lot of time, you're just gonna discard your opponent to oblivion and then win yeah yeah because like always a difficult the two blood chiefs first four fatal push dreadboard deck just doesn't strike me as an aggro deck <laughs> like yeah this isn't this You're right this doesn't really go aggro ever but like it, yeah. that is like something that people describe as mid-range but like 
You know, it's not. No, sometimes, but sometimes people try and like, like coo people into playing Pioneer. It's like, oh, this this is the format where you can play Siege Rhino. It's like, no, no, you can't. You never no. could, and you cannot, and especially now you can't. You can put it as a one-off in Niv. If you want to be cute. It's not good. It's not I good. Don't think Niv even wants it. No, yeah, Niv doesn't want it because you can't hit it off Niv. Yeah, so it's like it's not good, but people have done it. Yeah. You know, when you feel like the match is already in the bag and you just want that nostalgia hit, you insult your opponent by Niv delighting for a Siege Rhino. It is the perfect BM. They're just like, I'm, I am winning so handily that I can cast a Siege Rhino against you. Just to make yeah, I've feel done bad. that before. <laughs> I, I've done that before, where the drain from Sea Trial was the game winning drain. <laughs> it's like I could get like some sort of lock piece or interaction, but you know what? I'll lightning helix you instead. Four mana lightning <laughs> helix. Exactly. Sovereign's bite. Actually, you can't even hit creatures with it. All right. So going into our second point, and actually the main point you were initially um, going to be joining us is talking about enigmatic fires now ironically deck didn't show up in either challenge this week um so i suppose i'll leave with the easy question do you still think this is a real deck it's a real deck it's been real since over the past few months it's just it was just underplayed all right and um that's good to know at least so we know we're going to be talking about relevant would be very disappointing if you were like nah deck's ass (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you talk to me about enchantress i said depends on your metagame yeah so i was thinking fun like how you got into this because you are like at heart an enchantress player yeah but- so going back five going back five months i think this the deck first showed up on versus live and tyra and i were messing around with it and then we happened to find a discord server that specifically focused on enigmatic and two weeks later, I played in the Playerways Pioneer Invitational with a very early build of Enigmatic Fires. And now we have gotten to this point here. Yeah, you're the one, you played this that we jokingly refer to as six color fires because you even ran yeah. some Aldrazi in there. So you needed Painlands that could tap for colorless. Yeah, I still think you can kind of run Eldrazi, but I'll talk about that later. Um,. Yeah, so kind of just go over for also people who aren't familiar with the deck or not as familiar with the deck. Kind of how how does this deck work? How does it tick? And how does it win? Well, this is a, a synergistic engine style deck. So you're, you're, you're built around your namesake cards, which is Pfizer Invention and Enigmatic Incarnation. Most people, based on people playing in Standard and Historic, as well as Pioneer, know what Pfizer Invention does. Enigmatic Incarnation basically says, on your end step, you may sacrifice an enchantment and search up for a creature with one mana value more than the sacrifice enchantment. Um, Because this triggers on your end step, you can kind of view this as an ETB, especially if your ETB effect, especially if your opponent is tapped out. So you can just go find, so you can just sacrifice one of your two mana enchantments to find uh, the plenty for three drop creatures at this place. The reason that this deck... Um, plays three drop in creatures instead of maybe like two drops or four drops. I'll get 
is just because of the value of the creatures you have, Archon of Marion, Knight of Autumn, Moonblessed Cleric as some of your big ones. Renegade Rallyer, in my opinion, is one of the best cards in the deck, just based on how you can just recur some additional value and just keep your, your wheel spinning. You can recur a removal spell through a card like Trial Ambition, or you can bring back more card advantage like Omen of Seer and Nihilia's Presence. Um, but the deck's goal is to typically get down a turn 3, turn 4 Enigmatic or Pfizer Invention as early as possible and just start recouping that value because typically once you have about 2-3 to three turns with Enigmatic on the battlefield, you're in a really good position. Yeah, so it basically... Um, and that way it sort of wins like a control deck where there's not like a set like card or like through this. It's just... I own grind you, and I'm just gonna beat you down with like three mana, three twos. Once your board is empty. Yeah, I mean this deck does run some five drop creatures. The notable ones right now are Gulls, Tyler's Pilgrim, a main deck Yorion, Tolsmere, Friend of Wolves, and the Scarab God. Those are really your big finishers when you're looking for them. But you have to sacrifice either your own Fire's Invention to do that, and the fact that Fire's Invention triples your mana because you can cast two free spells and still have your mana to, to do things with it. You kind of don't want to do that. So you do run a one copy of Binding the Old Gods. So to activate as a removal spell, then ramp, and then you can get a five drop because the third chapter doesn't really matter in this deck. All right, yeah. So um, I think a card that really brought this card back in like um, back on the spotlight is Moonbless Cleric. Uh, from Adventures in Forgotten Realms, which, you know, I'll read it out because it's from the newest set. Uh, three mana for a three two, a human elf cleric, and when it enters the battlefield, you get Divine Intervention, which just means you get to Enlighten Tutor. You bring an enchantment from your deck, you shuffle your deck, and then put it on top, uh, and put it on top, so you know you're going to have that draw next turn. So what does this card, like, bring for this deck because it is generally only a three draw a three off which surprised me well the reason it's a three of is you want to see this like every game but it's the fact it the deck is actually really tight once you begin to build the pieces like oh i need this many co copies of this this many copies of that. so you don't really get like the full playset that you could do in most of the decks that play Playsets, especially in a toolbox style deck, you can also tutor this up. What this brings is copies five, six, and seven, or three, or like of either your Enigmatic Incarnation or Fire's Invention is typically what you're going to be tutoring for. However, there are cases once you have those on battlefield, you just get a two man enchantment, either fix your mana, ramp, or have some form of removal spell. Yeah, or, or, that's what... or like you're grabbing that binding, as you said, like your one-off binding, which can then get in your five drop, and that's generally going to be like your big your big finisher. Yeah, but the catch of all this is you need to, if you, especially if you play Moonblast when you have three mana, is you need you have to have your fourth mana already in hand when you want to get play Moonblast Cleric, because you're not going to be able because you're not going to be able to draw that land next turn. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there's Tutors that tutor to the top of your library is not something we see as often anymore, so it might be a little bit of a trap. We're thinking, oh, three mana, play this, get my enigmatic fires, and then you're just kind of stuck. Um, now, a card that you mentioned earlier, I believe is also a fairly new addition to this deck, and it is Golos, uh, Tireless Pilgrim. Now, I'm going to assume the activated ability on Golos is feasible, 
you're playing a five-color deck, there's a lot of stuff to hit. But what is the main draw to Golos? Can't be Field of the Dead. Um, it's not Field of the Dead. Um, in this case, it's Hall, Hall of Storm Giants, and because of the Angels deck that was running around Field of Ruin, being able to tutor up an answer for a Mutal Vault that you need to destroy in order to actually win the game really does help. The activation on Golos is also great. It's really good against control in the control matchups, which is where Golos shines. But you really want to be getting like a threat that you can't that your opponent has a lot of difficulty dealing with. So a seven seven with Ward three for seven mana sounds pretty decent. Yeah, that's the main draw for playing Golos. Yeah, and I guess the Hall of the Storm Giant is just the one of choice because you can, because you're a fire deck, you tend to just have nothing to do with your mana. So Golos spins are good, or just like this just spends all your mana in one turn, but you don't care because you wouldn't be spending it on anything else. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, a card, because you're talking about a control matchup, a card that I've noticed is absent from most of these lists is um, Destiny Spinner, which is just one on a green for 2-3 that makes your enchantments uncounterable. I think it can't be countered either. And, no, it can be countered. Uh, it can be countered. Your enchantments can be. And for, I think it's four mana, you animate a land and it becomes a haste trample creature? Yeah, it becomes an XX um, creature with haste and trample where X is number and enchantments to control. The main reason um, we've cut back from that list from what I've been talking with other people is the fact that it dies a lot. Like, it is a great value two three body for two mana that's great it has an activated ability which can close out games extremely quickly if you can get up to three or four enchantments but it die especially in pioneer where your premier control deck is blue black and a lot of your removal base is also red so it deals two to three damage destiny spinner is just not going to be able to stick around yeah if it was more of a supreme verdict meta there could be arguments to playing Destiny Spinner. Yeah, and it's also because the fact that your enchantments can be countered is like some value in the control matchup, but I guess it's just too inconsistent for that because it's going to be a one-off in an 80-card deck, so that doesn't just come up as often as you hope it would. Yeah, it is one of the, in my opinion, one of the three cards you could play in the two-drop slot for creatures in order to sack your one-drop enchantments such as Chain to Rocks or more recently Oath of Nyssa to get, the other two being Charming Prince and Thibblethip the Lost. I really like the additional Thibblethip. Both are good. Um, Thibblethip is basically an Elvish, Elvish Visionary, but if you can get it from your library and put it onto Battlefield, you just draw two cards instead. Really good for the control matchup, but it's it's decent in aggro because it just chumps really, real nicely. Yeah. But Charming Prince kind of does the exact same thing as well. Scry 2 is almost like draw a card as well. So there's arguments to playing Charming Prince and Thibblethip. But choosing one, you can make an argument for either. Right, I'm just looking at... The problem, obviously, with these lists, and that's what Brad and I always run into, is that there's such piles of, like, tons of cards that um, that go in and out, like Tolsamir and uh, other cards, Thassa Deep Dwelling... Uh, I see in this list. So we talked about, obviously, Enigmatic Incarnation, Fires of Invention, Moonblessed Cleric. You just mentioned sort of like the three main creatures you're running uh, in the two-drop slot. Uh, we talked about Scarab God, Golos. What are some other of sort of like the 
the mainstay cards that you think like some cards are obviously up for debate and you could flex them depending on the meta but what do you feel like oh i'm never leaving without x Nile of Autumn, Renegade Rally, Skyclave Apparition, Glass Pumimic, and Deputy Tension are your five other key creatures that you have. You could bring Skyclave actually up to two copies of in the right meta. Renegade Rally, I think it's one of the best cards in deck, especially if you run Fable Passages, because being able to irk, squeeze out that additional value, especially against Control, because Control, you really just need to one-for-one one your opponent until they don't have cards left and to snowball your advantage before they can recoup their disadvantage with like a dig through time right and then you say so most of the other cards is that like Thassa, Tulsimir uh, that's your basically your flex slot but talk about like you know certain enchantments uh, that we see aside from the main ones um, see a lot of like Oath of Kaya but there's a lot of two mana enchantments in the deck especially yeah, your two-man enchantments are really just the core of the deck. That's where you're going to be able to get these three-drop creatures. Your core two-drop enchantments is starts off with Trial Ambition. This is your premier removal spell early on because the fact you force them to sack the, the early game creature, hopefully they've only played one, maybe two at this point. That's why we also play Chain to Rocks for targeted removal. Um, then you have run about six copies of ramp in one way, ramp or mana fixing, depending on how you want to view it. That can be nightly. Typically, right now, it's a three three split between Nylea's Presence and Wolf Will Haven. Nylea's Presence allowing the land to basically become every basic land type, um, specifically plains, islands, swamp, mountain, forest. And Wolf Will Haven just adds additional green. You could also play cards like Path to the World Tree to get your additional basic lands out of your library. Just to make sure you fix your mana for your future turns. Um, is that is that like a thing you'd be doing if you hop back in like, we had the Eldrazi package, is that then you probably want a Wastes in the deck and that's when you'd be going for the Path of the World Tree because you specifically mentioned that Nihilia's Presence turns it into every colored mana source but obviously doesn't provide that Waste. Is that a place where you'd consider that swap? Um, use, I used to consider that, especially, but now that I've, I personally consider the Eldrazi package just Eldrazi Displacer, and I'm that I'm aware of. I really like that card. No one else does, but because it's kind of a win more, which I do agree. But I will argue, it's arguably one of our best stat-wise creatures on our tape in our deck because it's a three mana three three devoid, so you can't it cannot get Vanishing Verse. You can't wild slash it. And the fact that it can help our other creatures dodge around. And I find that with failed passages, you only need to run a basic waste, a couple pain lands, a Lithothorn Blight, and you're pretty much set at that point. You don't even need Path to the World Tree. Path to the World Tree is great because early on it does fix your mana. And it is really good in the late game for doing something against control at instant speed. Yeah, because... It's kind of like a mini Golos activation. Yeah, so it's got... because. I think it's seven mana and it's something like deal two, gain two, make a two two. Something like it's, that. So it's it does one of each thing in a color. It's gain two life, draw two cards, dr your opponent loses two life, shock something, and make a two two bear. All for seven mana. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. Actually like sort of like a mini golos. Do you feel like that is then less relevant because you are now running Golos nowadays and the whole of the Storm Giants? It is. 
It definitely is. Um, I would personally run Wolf World. I personally would run Wolf World Haven over Path to World Tree, even if you're running a basic waste in your deck. Um, Gullus is really good, as I said, in your control matchups, especially if you're having to face more aggro. Being able just to pay three mana, gain five life of Kenrith is is still great. So even though Kenrith doesn't see as much play as he, as he used to, because he overlaps with what the Scarab God does and other cards in the deck for gaining life, you can kind of just cut him back and find another slot. That's which is what, as I said, that's why Kenrith is not in the deck anymore typically. All right then. Let's see. I think we had a. I think you co you covered a lot of ground pretty quickly. Um, so, what would you say is like the strength about this deck? Like, what we currently see that's not being played much because it's very polarizing. A lot of aggro combo control, and here is this grindy deck. So, where does Enigmatic Fires find itself at the moment? This this deck finds itself in a lot of like not hyper fast aggro decks it it can fight pretty well i found against control if you know how to play that matchup which takes time and experience in, honestly but once you're able to find that you're typically looking for like mid-rangey creatures especially with play people going back to their um lgs's this is a great deck to play because especially if you want to win because they're going to want to bring these value creature based decks and that's what this deck eats real primarily. Like, you they can't get a mount on the board, and then you just outvalue them, and then you're just so far ahead that they have to go to the next game. Your games will be long, but you're always doing something. There's always a massive decision tree. Everything's on the battlefield. You just have to figure out what the best line is. Yeah. So, uh, we mentioned already going over the challenges where we saw like the the bigger red decks showing up, which are probably pretty good at eating aggro. So that's sort of like with the rock, paper, scissors, where you've got like the low to the ground, like black or red aggro decks, then the chunkier red decks that are trying to prey on that. And then Enigmatic Fires is like the deck that preys on the slower red deck. That's sort it of weird. would prey on the slower red deck. This deck can struggle against creatures with haste specifically because this is a sorcery speed deck when it's all said and done. So any way that your opponent can deal damage with with like a haste or an instant speed spell that's how this deck is going to have its issues it does it can run omen of the forge as a one-off typically but because we're in a wild slash format a lot of creatures these days are beginning to try to go up in toughness so that's why you you can see you you're beginning to see oath of chandra instead as a one-off as your two mana burn spell um a while back this deck used to play Luris. So being able, so if you have like Omen of the Sea, Omen of the Forge, you can recoup those and deal the additional damage. Oh, the Chandra unfortunately doesn't go face while Omen of the Forge does, but you do lose that extra damage. All right, then. Now, do you think, I think sort of to round off talking about this deck, because again, you've, I think you've certainly given me a lot of insight into how this deck works. What are sort of some some tips you would give to people picking up this deck. You said, like, make sure that you've got the fourth land before you play the Moonbless Cleric. Moonbless Cleric. Are there, like, some other lessons that you learned the hard way? Make sure you have 
your mana base is going to be a mess. Um, what you're going to be looking for is you're going to you're going to want one red source. You're going to want two white sources in case you draw your Skyclave apparition, and you're going to want one green source. And typically, you want to put your Nihilus presence not on basics. Like you want to put them on like a maybe a mana confluence or a land of waste so that you're able to tap it for any color, any mana of any color. But this is a, you gotta know what's in your deck and what's available to you. This is a deck where if you memorize your contents and then you can think about all the lines, all the weird interactions, you're going to go a lot farther than if you didn't. Because this is a deck that will punish you if you just don't know what you're doing. So you're going to have some time, sit down, goldfish your deck, just think about your lines of play because it's... This is a very quick deck where your t what you play on turn two and how you play your lands early on can change how the game is played. Yeah, I think an interesting thing you just said where like you you tend to not put Annihilate's presence on a basic, which is where people would naturally put it. And you're like, no, I'm going to put it on a mana confluence, even though that already taps for every color. But that is just so you can stop uh, losing life to your mana base. That's basically the reason you do because you need because that time. You need that time. You need that life. Like, there's ways. There's plenty of ways to gain life in the deck. It doesn't seem like there is, but it, I would love to play this against Burn because they're just a little bit slower. And once you deal with their first two or three creatures, you're you can cruise into your into the win. You just have to be careful about your life toll in that matchup. So like your Charming Prince, your Oath of Caius, your Tulsimir, your Nine of Autumns. Those are going to be ways you can just recoup that value. And just keeping that board clear, keeping your life total high, is going to be really key in those matchups. Just know where what your biggest threats are, and just deal with them as soon as you can. Like a lot of the creatures in mono black are going to be annoying to deal with, but the really key ones are your wrangle, your your other four drop that has um. That can get cheaper. I forget the name of, um, of it off the top. Spawn of, my head. of Mayhem. So yeah, Spawn of Mayhem and Night of the Evan Legion. Those are like your major threats you need to deal with early on. Wrangle is annoying because it does have, have haste, but the rest you can kind of deal with because you're a sorcery speed deck. Just knowing what is threatening to your position and how can you move around that you have a glass pumic so anything you tutor up as long as it's already on the battlefield you have a second copy of it already all right i think um because you did mention like it's you said like oh it's a great deck for if you like now go back to uh, fnm um and you start sort of getting these uh people play a bit the value mid-rangey style deck is obviously generally a very popular archetype but I I would say, hearing from, like, the point you made after, that it is a good deck for, like, the established Pioneer player. So, like, yes. so to um, kind of roll over the new player. But if you're new to Pioneer, then this sounds to me like a terrible deck choice. Because you need to know your deck, your opponent's deck, and that probably gets very complicated very quickly. It does give complicated very quickly. On top of that, the mana base is a mess, honestly. Like, you're running mana confluences, you're running triumphs, you're running shocks, you're running painlands in a deck without any colorless payoffs, which is insane to me, as I love Eldra's Displacer being able to flicker any of your creatures. But that's just me. 
but this is if you're established this is going to be a deck where you can have a lot of fun with this you also have to know what you're up against so you can make those slight fine tunes to the deck list so that you're best prepared for that in the main and in the side i find it very interesting and it runs pain lands without colorless spells so this is just this is just because things like you run a lanowar waste because woodland cemetery isn't consistent because your mana base is so messy that you're probably often gonna like play the mardu try no play not the mardu one but play the jeskai triome and then there's a woodland cemetery in your hand and then those hands just don't work yeah it's really all about the untapped land sources which is why current lists are running a lot of pathways and pain lands which i can understand but i really prefer a shock land check land but because of how fast the form has been i i understand moving away from that yeah and then as you said and then the you just if you're in a faster matchup you're going to make sure to put the nihilius presence on the pain lands so that part is you know you don't have to worry about that anymore but then maybe if you're in a control matchup or in something like blue black where you might even expect the field of ruin that's where you do start putting them on your basics because you care more about the colors than the life total yeah. Um, another thing is make sure you have an untapped white source on turn two so you can play your turn two chain to rocks, especially on a mountain. So like turn one Jeskai Triumph is a really good play or just turn one tap white source into turn two tap mountain so you can chain to rocks on turn two. That is something else you can to remember. Yeah, very good. Um, so like in Dotha, um, in Dotha Trial, because it is a white and green source, and well, it's white, green, and black. You can hit your removal, all your removal spells, your Nihilus presence, and your Chain to Rocks. Well, not all your. You still have an Oath of Chandra, and you still can't hit an Omen to see. But you, if you have a Jeskai Charm, you can just play that instead. All right seeing if i have any more questions i don't know if you have any further closing statements or if you about said what you wanted to say about the deck i think that's a lot um you typically want to run about one creature that's in the four drop slot but that's really a open slot to a lot of different cards it can be a yashon if you see a lot of john sack you can play omnath just for additional value you can play archon if you see a lot of aggro you could you could if you really wanted to play siege rhino i wouldn't recommend it but you can but you could yes if you if you then yeah. if you're gonna go to that fnm and you're the established pioneer player and you're gonna kind of like try and shit on all the people that are new that are like getting really back into it and you're like you know what flex that experience but you then you put in the siege rhino so your opponent feels kind of good it's like, yeah. I lost, but there's a Siege Rhino on the table. I had a good time. Like, that that's what the Siege Rhino comes in, and otherwise it's probably any other 4-drop. Yeah, it's whatever 4-drop that seems that, that seems like it's just a win-the-game creature, like or just stops your opponent from being able to win. That's really what you're looking for in the 4-drop slot, so that's why, like, Yashan, or even, like, Thought Knots here, even, it's just disruption plus a beater even though it does give your card a, a card back to your opponent when it dies or leaves the battlefield being able to disrupt is helpful which is why you see sin collector in a lot of these lists um it is not it's not in a, any many of the a lot all the current main decks but you at least see it somewhere in the 95 all right 
then you know, I think also about it. Obviously, we'll probably plug it again at the end. But I don't think what is like a resource people could go. Do you said there was a Discord for it? Yes, there was a Discord for um the enigmatic Discord, enigmatic incarnation. And I'm sure if they have any follow up questions, they will be able to find you on the Playway Discord server too. Yeah. Yeah. He's under Sir Epic. He's one of our admins. And the person who does the tedious task of running the leaderboard. Yeah. Um, which I think I always find it uh, fun when I when I talk to you about decks or do things like mana bases. You're sort of like, it's clear you're the stats guy. Because like, you know, I like, like... I, I, you've sent me like mana bases through like Excel sheets with like excessive calculations to make sure it's optimal. Okay, that was for Enchantress. That yeah, was okay. for Enchantress. And, and I kind, is my pet deck. And, and I kind of just throw lands in the deck until I feel like it works. And I just pull up the Frank Karsten article, which doesn't take into account pathways, and I'm kind of like, guess I'm on my own now. <laughs> so I think pathways, um, going more than just the mana bases, my personal recommendation when building your mana base, use MTG on Curve. It's a free website. You put in your deck list, you put in the mana base you're running, it will give you percentages of the odds you're able to cast it on Curve. Does that work Extremely as pathways? Extremely helpful. Huh? I thought it no, didn't. No, it does not. No. No, it does not. <laughs> If you really want to do the math by hand, consider Pathways in a two-color deck probably about three-quarters of a land of, of a source. Ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Three-quarters to half, depending on how, depending on what your pip density is in your deck. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. Obviously, they yeah. might consider as a bit more of a source if you play, like, a splash color. And, yeah, like, once you've got, like, for my, my Grixis deck, it's like, once I play one Pathway on, on red, I'm kind of good for the rest of the game. So yeah, then but they could, I could consider my recommendation with that. Yeah. Sorry for interrupting, but no my recommendation for that, for that article as a whole is skimming. It will give you a lot, a lot of information, but if you really take a deep dive into reading that article, there's going to be a couple key sentences and which is why I built a, a, a stupid spreadsheet for enchant for my enchantress man base, <laughs> which basically devolved into is Temple of Plenty better than Scavenging Grove? Yeah, I love the answer turned out to be no. I love that so much. You asked me, it's like, should I run? Like, what do you think? Temple of Plenty and Scavenging Grove? So I was like, dude, they're Taplands. I kind of hate both of them. <laughs> the cycling on the on Sky Grove is just slightly better. Yeah, I, and the fact it has the basic land subtype. Yeah, exactly. The, the cycling yeah, lands with basic land types are basically the only, and man lands are the only tap lands I allow myself to run. I would die before I put a temple on one of my decks. <laughs> um, so I think, with that being said, um, we can move on to I. I can't believe. Epic. I cannot believe that I can already say this. We can talk about spoilers for Midnight Hunt. Wasn't there... Isn't that a set that's supposed to be releasing, like, this week? But it just got pushed back, if I'm not mistaken, on Arena. Has it been pushed... I, I honestly... I'll be honest. Uh, yeah, it's I'm, been pushed back. I know it is supposed to be... It's going to be Midnight Hunter, Crimson Vow, and Crimson... And one of the two, I guess Crimson Vow, was supposed to be the January set, but has been pushed to the front. So it's together no. with this one, right? No, um, I'm talking about Jumpstar Historic Horizons, which was supposed to be releasing this week, but they have to push it back two weeks. Oh, that one's been pushed back. Now, I'm 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 talking about the yeah. Pioneer. I mean, at, at this point, Jumpstart uh, Historic almost feels like a Pioneer set. 
because how much yeah. interest it has given in Pioneer by some people. Um, yeah, sure. Keep having, keep printing those cards. Go ahead, Angle the player base. Bring them to Pioneer. That's all you have to do. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Get them over here. Like I, f- I feel like the Emperor from Star Wars. Like good, good. We have cookies. Let let your hatred flow through you, and then everyone comes over here to Pioneer, and then they greeted by us. And I don't know what effect that's gonna have on people. Um, but did you want to start the least exciting cards for Pioneer, and then move to the, to um, the more exciting cards? Yeah, I'll uh, I'll say. I mean, it's probably going to be pretty obvious. You go in the order you want. And we could, I guess we could touch on all of them because it is seven so far. But I want to I wanna end on uh, on the infamous blue card. All right. And then you so can go in start... your order. All right. So, yeah. Honestly, let's just... Are you on... All right. So the first card we're going to be doing is Ren and Seven. This is a five-mana planeswalker, three green-green. Starts with five loyalty and has four abilities. It's plus one. It is reveal the top four cards of your library. Put all land cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. The zero is put any number of land cards from your hand onto battlefield tapped. It's minus three is create a green tree full creature token with reach. And this creature's power and toughness are equal to the number of lands you control. And its ultimate at negative 8 is return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. So I said to start with the least exciting and you do you, you start off with this one. So what 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 do you think? Uh, I'll give my opinion later, but why do you think this is such an unexciting card? It's too slow for Pioneer. I, I think that's that's very valid. That's considering what we just talked about. That's my that's my issue. It's just too slow for Pioneer, especially right now. Yeah, like you look at it, and I think it is it is an interesting take on because it's it was first a complaint, and then people were like, "Can we please have more planeswalkers that do this again?" Where we said like, "Oh, every planeswalker is just comes in with a bunch of loyalty, pluses for card advantage, minus for removal, and the ult you win." And I think this is an interesting take on the planeswalkers, but yeah, I do agree. This is just. Get you a bunch of land drops and play them, and you get a dude with reach. It's nice in like a a rock style deck, but nobody really plays those. I mean, some people play them, but I mean, so it's probably exciting for these people, but it's just not super good. Your your hands can be empty by the time you get up to five mana. Yeah, like I I I'd much rather probably just have like. If, even if I'm playing, like, a, a rock-style deck, I'd probably just much rather have, like, Liliana Waker of the Dead or something. That's, like, gonna... It doesn't... Yeah. It doesn't interact with your opponent. It's a 5-drop. It needs to interact in the in Pioneer these days. By the way, in case people wonder, because I wasn't sure either, the fact that it is called Ren and 7, even though we knew that it was Ren and 6, if you look at the Planeswalker creature type, it says Legendary Planeswalker Ren. And that is because I think Ren... If I have a, is a dryad who can sort of like merge itself with like tree folk or something, or like with like certain trees, and then they sort of like exist together. But Ren doesn't name the trees. Ren just numbers them. So Ren and Six was just the sixth tree that they sort of merged with, and Ren and Seven is just now it's just the seventh time they merged with a tree. So if we ever get another one, it's gonna be Ren and Eight. Well, eventually, Ren and Six will be afraid of Ren and Seven. <laughs> I wasn't going to make the joke, but I'm very happy that you did. 
All right, so we've gotten out of the way that this is not a very exciting card, though a fun pun given five years from now. Um, that yes, give us five years. That is the value of sense. this card. It's going to be a great pun if we return to Innistrad another three times. Speaking of numbers, sure you want to go to the next one? You want to speak it out? I'll speak it out. Speak it it out. is Triskai Decafile. There you go. Um, and obviously reference to Triskaidecaphobia from Shadows Over Innistrad. Um, it is one in a blue for a human wizard. It's a 1-3. And it says, you have no maximum hand size. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. And then for three and a blue, it has an activated ability to draw a card. Now, this is kind of hilarious because it, it's, it's based on Triskaidecaphobia, which was an enchantment. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you either make everyone lose one life or everyone gain one life. And if someone's life total would become 13 because of that, they would lose. And it's actually funny because if you look at that card, I think there is like 13, like there's something like 13 knives in the art or something. There's there's something 13 in the art. So I'm sure it's in this one too. That's going to be a fun one to look at the high definition of the art. Keep in mind, there are two arts. So maybe it's six on one and seven on the other. Is it the yeah, fingers? Yeah, maybe it's the fingers. I know there's there's two art pieces to this. So there's two. There's an alternate version of this. And maybe they're going to have like 13 fingers together? No, there's 16 on this. Oh, that's already way too much. This guy can count. Well, you have two hands, so that's five. And you have two, two other hands, which have three on each one. Maybe the other guy's like... He's going to come in and like pick up his copy of a hand with three fingers and then they both have 13. Maybe it's a 13th hour. Oh, look at that. There is a clock in the back. See that, you know, the, the four of those people have something to do. You know, <laughs> you know we're going to have the vampire set and the werewolf set. And instead of giving you interesting vampires and werewolves, we're just going to make you stare at card arts and figure out why it's related to the number 13. Like, there you go. Um... I mean, I will say, I do think Ren and Seven is more exciting than this card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is yeah. more of a commander card. Or it feels my, more my like My problem is, is that generally, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. Probably applies to most games of Magic. Where, like, once you have 13 cards in your hand, you're probably good. Unless your opponent also has 13 cards yeah. in their hand. The other um, interaction that you have to, that, that you have to remember about this is you don't have you you don't have a, you do not have a response before this goes on the stack when once you untap your lands. Yeah. So once you've got the thirteen goes on the stack, you win. I or I yes. don't. There's a specific wording. I'm pretty sure it's at the beginning of your upkeep, so you can't respond to that because you cannot resp respond to your untapped stack. Yeah, but. Does it check again if you like make your if you're like Kolagot's command your opponent and then when it checks they got twelve? It will check again at that point. Yeah, so if you have instant you can mess someone up with instant speed discard, but you can also just fatal push this creature and then you don't have the problem. Uh yeah, but if your opponent has thirteen cards and especially if they're a blue player, you're already extremely far yeah, behind. I, I will say the a fun thing about this card is that it is an infinite mana sink. Which, I mean, there's plenty of cards that are infinite mana, but it is an infinite mana sink. And it is a 1-3, a 2-mana 1-3, so it's a reasonable blocker. 
So if you want to build some sort of combo deck that doesn't care about at the beginning of your upkeep if you have 30 cards here and you win the game, but it just wants to play a reasonable blocker, find some way to generate infinite mana and draw its deck, it does that. It's also a wizard. It's also a wizard. And a human, which is vaguely relevant sometimes in blue decks. Yeah. You can like Thalia's Lieutenant this, and now it's actually a decent blocker. But, so what is the next card you want to talk about? Um, let's talk about Join the Dance. Sure. What does it do? So Join the Dance is a, for green and white, it's a sorcery that you create two 1-1 one, one white human creatures with just two 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens. Yeah. So the ones you have on Lovestruck Beast. However, this has flashback for three in green and white. Yeah, my, my mate... Flashback's back. Yeah, the main thing that excites me here is that we've got flashback. Right, I don't. I don't care about this card. It's Celestia. I don't. I don't play Celestia decks, but I am. Ex- I am excited for Flashback. It's. Just, I'm big fan of that mechanic. Yeah. Guess who's back? Flashback's back. Interesting. Flashback is back. It, that applies to both the mechanic being back and something you can sing to annoy your opponent during the game while you cast your Flashback. <laughs> uh, I am very happy that I, when that Commander deck was spoiled, that at Flashback I bought a copy of Catalyst Stone, which makes your Flashbacks cheaper. And maybe I, I I wasn't even sure if I was gonna build that deck. It's like, oh, maybe there's like a cool flashback deck, and now I've got that one. Um, I do want to mention that two one ones for two mana, even though it's green and white, especially in token based decks, this is actually really solid. Yeah, it's 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 raised the alarm, but without the instant speed, but you get the flashback. But I don't think token decks generally really care. They don't really care about the instant speed on raise the alarm. So, yeah, this is, in most cases, a better Raise the Alarm. Token decks are often going to be Celestia decks, right? Raise the Alarm found itself in Celestia decks very often. So, I, yeah, I do think this is, this is a pretty decent card for that strategy, if that strategy ends up being good. Yeah. It does make humans. Um, raise the Alarm is an instant and costs one in white, so you probably just want to run, run Raise the Alarm instead. Yeah, for the sake of making humans, I think you're better off. Because the humans deck is often an Orzhov deck. So if you want to have that sort of go-wide element to it, you do actually care about this green mana cost. I know, I know. like, what, five years ago, there used to be a Bant humans deck. But that was before Battle for Zendikar came out. Yeah, but I, I don't think Bant humans was a collected company deck. It was. So, but But overall, I think this is a pretty decent token maker. Um, it is a good showcase card for flashback, right? This is generally like sh- flashback cards, like reasonable on rate on the front side. But the fact you get to cast them twice, even though it's super overcosted, is very good flood flood insurance in decks like this. You're playing a token deck, you're very happy with this flood insurance. Yeah. So next up, Epic, what we're we gonna talk about? Next up, next up is Champion the Perished. For a single black mana, you get a zombie. It's a 1-1. However, whenever another zombie enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter, well, under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Yes, this is is a very funny take on a card from the original Innistrad block. The original Innistrad block had Champion of the Perish, which is a one mana, one, one human that gets a one, one counter whenever you play a human. And this is a Champion of the Perished, and it's a zombie, and it, it, it even has the same outfit, so it's clearly the same guy. Or at least it's probably the same guy. He did he did switch weapon, I think. 
He's got a no. The weapon's the same. Has a, I believe the champion of power also has a serrated sword. Oh, uh, yeah, you might be right. Um, so do you think this is gonna do anything for zombies? No. Yeah, same. Um, the issue is it has no evasion. There's no menace or death touch. Yeah. It's just something like I know there's zombie lords, but it is a very good one drop, but. I just don't think it's good enough. And Pioneer is a creature-based format more so than what Modern is. I just don't see it having no evasion, doing being able to do anything. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree. I, not the evasion matters, right? I, I kind of wish we were just gonna see Champion of the Parish reprint because humans is actually a relevant deck and somewhat, and zombies just completely isn't. Uh, I think for me the problem lies in that it's a zombie. And zombies, at least in Pioneer, but kind of in general, is kind of just a flawed archetype that hasn't really kept up with what magic is about. Zombies is, as an archetype, is exceptionally good at at like grinding out games that creature based games that don't happen in the air. So I don't know elves. Uh, goblins, um, just general beatdown decks, mono green stompy, like those type of decks, zombies is always super good about because it just has so much stuff. So I can swing in with eight creatures and I don't care if you favorably block four because the other four have gotten in or have traded and I just have another seven creatures lined up. That is just... And those zombies are going to come back. Yeah, exactly. But... That's just not really what magic is about anymore. We don't have like grindy on the ground creature based games. Pioneer has it more, but and I don't think Champion of the Parish solves that issue because it's just a good aggro card. But if I want to play mono black zombies as an aggro deck, I'll just play mono black aggro, right? I would. I want to run Knight of the Ebon Legion, which is an incredible card. I want to run Rancor. I want to run Spawn of Mayhem. There's so much good, good stuff. So, Mono Black Zombies, I think, is never going to be a good aggro deck unless it gets like seven more copies of this. And it's also never going to be a good. Well, it's never going to fill a role that like really matters because I think what I just described is like what Zombies is good at. They're already good at that. They've got pretty good lords, at least for, like, longer games, because they give keywords. You can give menace, you can have death touch. They have Crypt Breaker, which is one of the best grindy one-drops of all time. Diagraph Colossus, Relentless Dead. There's already a lot of good stuff there, but just kind of nobody cares, because it's not relevant what's there. And this card doesn't solve any of these problems. Yeah, that's where we're, that's where I'm at with it as well. It's just not good enough. It's good, just not good enough. Yeah, it's like, and if if you get if if wizards like pulls a uh, pulls like a vampires in was it M twenty where they got Zorin and Knight of the Ebon Legion, like yeah, if we if they're gonna just give us like oh none of these two are zombie sets, but we're actually gonna put like five completely batshit crazy zombies in it, yeah, maybe zombies is good, and then this card is good, but unless that happens, this card's just gonna be like a cool throwback to a card I wish they had actually reprinted. 
Champion of the Parish does get plus one plus one counters, which does work against Heartless Act. Yeah, true. It is. It, it does dodge a pretty common removal spell, but on the other hand, no matter how big it gets, it dies to push. Yeah. But it's definitely like... It, it, it's better than... it. The only upside this does have is that it grows big pretty fast together with Diagraph Colossus. And that means you are pretty... Uh, more resilient to anger of the gods, which would be like a very common board wipe that zombie sucks against. But that that is the one upside it has. If we see a lot of like, we still have a lot of Phoenix or like Jeskai Ascendancy, that sort of deck, this does line up well against the removal they run. Whether that's good enough, yeah. probably not. But then you also have to deal with Shadow's Verdict. Yeah, true. That's also a big thing. I've We don't have Brad on this week because he had something come up for his work. I know Brad would have been here talking for an hour about zombies. Uh, Source, he's already been doing that to me. Um, <laughs> and we talked about a similar problem where it just feels like... Uh, and some of the things that like Brad proposed, like, yeah, we can have, like, what if there's, like, a selfless spirit type effect. But, like, the problem with zombies is exile. And you would need zombie cards that start triggering when zombies leap leave the battlefield rather than when they die but because of the flavor of zombies that would feel really out of place like zombie cards always do something when they die because that's the whole point of zombies is that they don't actually die but currently all the important and like almost all the like important and relevant sweepers they exile so unless we get like three mana wrath of gods and we suddenly all start playing non-exile sweepers again, zombies just, again, it just provides something that nobody's asking for. And it also sucks against yeah. flyers. Oh shit, your opponent's playing spirits. Guess I'm dead. Well, I can make a bunch of 2-2 blockers. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'll just fly over with my 6-6 six, six, watcher of the sphere. Do this three times and you're dead. Um, so what's up, what's up next? There's three cards left. Well, feel free to pick between one of the two. All right. I'll, uh, now we, now I think we get into the juicy stuff. Uh, we'll start with the yeah. slightly less juicier one, but still one that's eventually going to be a good card. Uh, talk about Infernal Grasp. Infernal Grasp is one in a black for an instant, and it says, destroy target creature. You lose two life. Now, some people have called this basically like, this is the best Doomblade ever. Would what do you think? It's close. I think it is extremely good. It's It automatically puts itself up with the other ones that we have right now with Heartless Act and Eliminate. The issue is the loss of two life. That's I think people are undervaluing how much how big that is in Pioneer. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I feel like, and we talked about this a little bit uh, before we started recording, so there's probably a... This is a home one in the aggro decks. Yeah. In the control decks, I don't know if you want to play this. Yeah, exactly. Well, we... Uh, when we talked earlier. It's like, in a control deck, I don't think you want this. Also because at this point, Heartless Act basically is two-mana murder. There's very few cards in this format that uh, avoid being killed by Heartless Act. So it's not worth that two-life loss that you always have compared to, like, the fringe cases where Heartless Act doesn't work. Uh, then we've obviously also got Eliminate, and now we've got Power Ward Kill. And they're all conditional. And 
especially in aggro decks, these cards find themselves in sideboards a little more often than they find themselves in main decks. Or you see like one copy in the main, an additional copy in the side. And that's where I feel like Infernal Grasp can shine. Aggro decks care less about their life total. We've especially seen this with Mono Black Aggro that even like went away from like Castle Loxwain. And it's like, I don't want the value, I want the aggro. So that leaves up like that life game, that life that used to be used to draw cards to open as a resource to use elsewhere. And if you're afraid of like, let's say this set is going to have a creature that is just basically Stone Coral Serpent with lifelink. I don't know, it's not going to have protection for multicolor, but it's going to have lifelink instead. Now, that doesn't get hit by Heartless Act. So you're like, oh, I'll run Power Word Kill. But what if you're against that guy who runs a really out of war leader in a sideboard? Well, now it doesn't work there. And then I think Infernal Grasp is actually good. If um, Power Word Kill also does not kill any dragons, and the big dragon of Pioneer is Nismizit, yeah. which I... I would rate Eliminate and Heartless Act above Power Word Kill. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, currently, Eliminate isn't that good, but it, it's that is the one that probably scales the best because it also hits Planeswalkers and will eventually have more 3-mana Planeswalker that are good. Um, we're slowly seeing Liliana the Last Hope creep in in some Mono Black, some Demir Control. Like, it's slowly creeping in and it's an incredible planeswalker so and jvp yeah jace Prince prodigy uh, more and more narset in control decks too yeah so eliminate gains value there heartless act again is basically two mana murder um yeah i would say power word kill is generally worse and this finds itself somewhere in the middle and i'd say for a control deck the main ones you're looking at is heartless act and um Heartless Act and Eliminate. I think if you're an aggro deck and you're mainly there because you want to get like the Kalidases, the Lyras, those cards out of the way, you're probably looking at Heartless Act or Infernal Grasp. Those are probably your two best ones. Yeah. Now, two cards left to go. Um, Epic, what what do you make of Play With Fire? So Play With Fire, for reference, is for one mana, it's Shock. But if you if the damage is dealt to a player, you get to scry one. This probably replaces Wild Slash in most of all decks, except for a couple of fringe cases, in my opinion. Yeah, I I would say it probably replaces Wild Slash straight up. Uh, I can see some situations, maybe if you're. Um, I think Big Red. I think that's the only one where you have to you would have to consider keeping in Wild Slash. Yeah, I think I think in like a Big Red deck, I would say it's probably play with fire ninety nine percent of the time. But you you can consider the other time. I think if you're playing Burn, it's just it's this, right? In Burn, it's this. Absolutely. You run one Wild Slash because it's going to replace the Shock you're running now. A lot of them are four Wild Slash one Shock. Now it's just going to be four play with fire one Wild Slash. Yeah. I think this card I, is gonna make burn pretty damn good. The fact that you get you get to draw half a card with the scry one is just gonna be so good for especially if top decking this like this is great like end step play with fire you scry one bottom of land draw a wizard's lightning deal three win the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is especially again in mono red that or in burn that just. 
it doesn't care about its fourth land at all, right? Sometimes they run like Ramanap ruins to prevent that flood, but you know, you you'd still rather not. Um, because even with Ramanap ruins, that's still after activating it leaves you with four lands, and now you kind of still have that problem. Um, I could even see instead of replacing Wild Slash, though, I said that I could see this replacing Lightning Strike. Uh, I think they generally run two Lightning Strike. I can imagine your Instead of five shock variants, you cut the lightning strike, you run seven, and you go like four play with fire, three wild slash, because I know you're getting less reach. You're losing that point of reach, but the scry one is going to more likely draw you into a burn spell, which compensates for that while being a more efficient spell at all the other times. Yeah. Uh. I would have to disagree. I, I still think you keep in Lightning Strike beca just because the fact it can deal the extra 3 damage and being able to deal that 3 damage is relevant, especially in that deck with because a lot of your blockers that you're going to have a lot of difficulty with or I, or I found a lot of success with have an extremely high toughness. So especially, f I think the magic number in Pioneer for maximum toughness is 5. So being able to Lightning Strike with a Prowess creature on the battlefield, you can... Tr you can kill a five toughness creature if they decide to block there with lightning strike while you can't do that with play of fire yeah i think that yeah i think you're making a good point like with soul scar mage for example it even like just straight up eats it because you did the three damage as opposed to uh play with fire or like a shock effect that wouldn't um next ram for example like that's oh a yeah zero that's five a at the end of your upkeep gain a life yeah that's a very that's a very good one so i think because the Bit of the, the lead up to this last card. So I saw play with fire and I made uh, a joke on Twitter and I went in Photoshop and I basically took like the top five decks of the metagame, which was Phoenix, Burn and three other decks. And I said like, oh, uh, live footage of Wizards printing play with fire in Pioneer. And I just copy pasted Burn over every other deck. Except for Phoenix, because except for one, yeah, except for Phoenix, because I ran out of time. I could only record gifts of like a certain amount of time, and I couldn't do it fast enough. So I was like, "Screw it!" Phoenix probably runs play with fire, so it's fine. That one stays. And as I put that one on Twitter, I think like 15 seconds later, they spoil consider. Now consider is one blue for an instant. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Draw a card. I think we've, we've, we're seven cards in. If this card isn't at least in the top three of this set, if not the best card in the set, I would be shocked. And my opponent would then scry one because they don't shock me, they play with fire me. For reference, consider basically says surveil one. Yeah, draw it's, it's opt because surveil is not is in the set. They have to exactly. use the long. They have to use the rule sex version. It's it's just opt, but it goes in your graveyard instead of on the bottom of your deck, which is say Alex, what decks does this go in? Any deck with delve spells. Um, this is going to like absolutely just. Phoenix is just gonna reach unironically with a flying creature new heights. Uh, Phoenix is, this is an unbelievably large amount upgrade for Phoenix. It is really good for Jeskai Ascendancy because that is also a Treasure Cruise deck. It is really good for Blue Black Control because that is a Dig Through Time deck. And 
it's probably good for like blue red prowess that we've seen sometimes like and maybe this is even gonna like spawn some deck that we're not thinking about i would yeah but almost argue just so we don't have to play a format for two months that people are gonna hate shall we just ban dig through time and crash through right now i'm gonna disagree with you there i think consider should get the ban yeah i so we talked a little bit about this before and um my problem with that is if it were up to me for like the short term and, and the timing right people are just getting interest in pioneer uh it's rekindling again this set comes out it's gonna break all the the treasure cruise and dig through time decks and people are gonna be like ah stupid format when inverter was there everyone said dig through time should be about we were right wizard doesn't care her her and we're going to get into that circle jerk again. So for the sake of just like keeping the format kind of going, I would ban consider too. Um, and like, I am, I am dead serious saying that I think because they're not going to ban consider, we might as well ban dig and treasure cruise now. Um, yeah. They're not going to ban consider because it's, the yeah, new it's a new card. We've seen this before. Hello. We Heliot. saw this in modern with modern horizons too. I disagree with the with the with how they did the combo bangs. I would have done it a little bit differently, but not much we can do now. But what which one did you see with the uh, Modern Horizons? What was the parallel there? Hogak. Oh yeah, they banned everything but Hogak, <laughs> and then the deck just kept getting better. And it's like, how does this deck keep getting better when you're banning cards from it? And it's like this deck is so broken that when you ban a card, people have to start reconsidering how they built the deck, and they somehow make it better um yeah i think that's a really good one but for me it's mostly that i've talked about this plenty of times before and i'm not the only one with this opinion uh because it's you know pretty common one i feel like the banning of dick through time and ancestral recall uh, ancestral I, I just call it ancestral recall it's treasure cruise <laughs> but it is ancestral recall um the banning of these two cards to me has always felt like a when not an if like one at one point and this it's consider now um wizards is gonna print and like completely normally right i i think consider is like kind of an egregiously powerful card but like they were going to print a card that efficient sl- somewhat efficiently fuels your graveyard that was just gonna happen and when they do these cards are gonna get too powerful and they're gonna need to get the axe and I feel like consider is just like yeah this this is the when right dig through time and treasure cruise are inherently overpowered magic cards um because you delve generally like even if you just go through a natural game plan and you don't try and power them out just eventually you're gonna have shit in your graveyard because it's a game of magic and things happen and spells get cast paying one mana to draw three cards is ridiculous um paying two mana instant speed look at the top seven put two in your hand is absolutely off the wall crazy the only thing that's keeping them back is that it's hard to power them out in this format but this card is so good at that and it's in the same color right if there was a green card that fueled your graveyard somehow let's say like i don't know adventurous impulse but the card go to your graveyard instead there's a point to be made because now you're in a second color but this is card uh, card selection it's a card draw spell which the other two also are in the same color 
So this so cleanly slots into these decks, it's just going to turbocharge them and all of them are going to be overpowered. Yeah, I do agree that when Wizards begins to care about the format more, Dig the Time and Treasure Cruise will probably get the axe before Consider, but we've seen this before. You don't Typically, you don't want to ban the payoffs. You want to ban the things that enable. An uh, example I want to relate to is Faithful Shooting. It, even though these are two completely different power levels, they're still the same cost. They still both draw your card and put cards into your graveyard. Yes, with Faithful Shooting, you can choose what cards from your hand to put into your graveyard. But it's still cons- but Faithful Shooting typically draws you three cards for one man, which is... A red ancestral recall at that point because the cards you put into your graveyard you want to considers in that case is drawing like 1.3 1.5 cards instead yeah it's not drawing you one card yeah i i think you make a valid point um that but we've also seen with with kci is that sometimes you're just gonna have to ban the payoff um because there are too many cards that are going to break the bill. Like, like Faithless Looting is like... I mean, I said Consider is an egregiously powerful card, and I think it is. Um, but Faithless Looting is like a whole nother level. Like, Faithless Looting is even like... It's not even a red card. Because even... I know it's called Faithless Looting, and that's why it loots, draw, discard. But generally, red cards rummage. They discard and then draw first. So it, it's kind of even like a card that just like shouldn't exist um the way it does and i think the problem with if you ban consider is that there are so many cards card designs that are possible that are just gonna be the next consider um so we're gonna ban this random cantrip because it breaks two spells and next set we're gonna get another decent cantrip and then we're going to have to ban that cantrip because it enables these spells. And like, wh- when do you stop? And we all know that the Delve spells are broken. So once they actually get ban-worthy, I don't think it's worth it to start banning the world around them. Just ban them and move on. Also for long-term yeah. health. Right? In the long-term, these cards are going to become a problem you might as well nip it in the bud when you can. The only thing is, and why I would almost argue now to better consider this one time, is the timing is going to be awful. Because Pioneer is going to be in an uptick again, and then this happens. And we might be stuck with one, two, or if Wizards going to pull another Wizards, three, four, five months of this format being dominated by three decks. What, what are you thinking? Phoenix, Ascendancy, and Control? I mean, those are definitely like the, the main the main benefactors. Because um, they are the card, the decks that already exist. Um, now, Control generally doesn't run Opt. So it's not like the clean swap or addition that it is in the other two decks. So I think Demir benefits a little bit less. I can tell you, fitting Consider in the deck is going to be hard without cutting down on Sensor. But Sensor is also an incredibly good card. Sensor is so good. Yeah. I've, I've had to, I've forced myself to play around it these days. Yeah, like Sensor is 
exceptionally good. I, I haven't run it for a while. I've been I've been running it again. I listened to that uh, Blue Black Control podcast from the first Pioneers. By the way, if people are interested in Demir Control, do listen to that one because it's a super insightful episode. And it's only about an hour. They are a lot more concise than we are. Uh, <laughs> and it basically like try censor again. And it kind of made me feel, it, it felt like being back home. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I've, I, I've kind of missed this actually. And so that's going to have to fight with censor. In the other two decks, if it's not going to be in addition to opt, it's just straight up going to swap out for opt and be in addition, right? In Jeskai Ascendancy, it's going to straight out swap for opt. It's probably not going to supplement opt. In uh, Is It Phoenix, that deck runs a whole bunch of two mana cantrips. It really doesn't want to be running. But the other one-mana cantrips are like Crash Through and Warlord's Fury, and they suck. So you don't want to run those. This list, with, with Consider, you're just going to cut four two-mana cantrips and replace them with a crazy good one-mana cantrip. And I think Phoenix... And you also throw in a couple of copies of Play of Fire on top of that. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You get a couple of copies of Play with Fire, which they sometimes go face. Uh, generally in Phoenix, it feels pretty bad to go face with your Play with Fires doesn't feel as bad now because you get the scry so there's some value to be had there probably going to be two or three copies of that play set of consider slam dunk and i think it's going to make phoenix too good and again i then see them banning ancestral uh again ancestral um treasure cruise before they ban phoenix because treasure cruise is they know it's a problem and people really love phoenix I think people would rather play a suboptimal Phoenix than like no Phoenix. Yeah, we've seen this in the past with in modern specifically with um dis- random discard decks, Hollow One specifically. What do you mean exactly? Um, Hollow One, it, people just enjoy these discard style decks that just, oops, I play put three birds on the battlefield on turn three. Oh yeah, like pe- people like their burning inquiries and stuff and. Uh... Yeah. yeah. So, and that way I'm super bummed with Consider being printed. Because, I mean, yeah, the evaluation is... Well, the funny thing is, the evaluation is this card is really good, but it might actually end up, at least at, like, the, the highest level of play, seeing very little play. Because if this card is so good that it gets Treasure Cruise and Dick Through Time banned the decks that use those cards go down, like, significantly. And Pioneer has a pretty balanced metagame. There's a lot of decks that are used, a lot of decks that are playable. Uh, It feels like sort of like an older modern format where, like, almost everything is at, like, 4 to 8%, and there's a ton of decks. I think if, like, you ban Treasure Cruise, people are going to step away from... um, Oh, also, uh, Lotus is a Dick Through Time deck. Also an important one to note. At least some lists are. I don't know if they can run Consider, but they might consider it. They can survive without Dick Through Time. Yeah, they they can definitely survive without, so I think that deck is going to be, like, you know, rotting in the same abyss as it always has, with, like, a small group of people playing it, and the rest of you are like, I am not touching that. Um, But... Like, if Phoenix gets really good, or if Ascendancy gets really good with Consider, they ban 
Treasure Cruise, then I think people are just going to stop playing Jeskai Ascendancy. Isn't this like the one format where you can play Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time? Yeah. So I think, I mean, again, I want to say because I love Dig Through Time. Like, I play Control, obviously, and I am a huge fan of this card. It is so much fun to cast this card. I know, uh, I don't know if he's been on the show yet, but uh, Risen, one of our admins, he went into Pioneer because he could play Phoenix and he could cast Treasure Cruise. And he's like, if I can no longer uh, cast Treasure Cruise, I don't know if I'm interested in this format anymore compared to other formats. So you are right. And, but I... Doesn't that give Pioneers some form of identity? that people argue about yeah i mean i feel i feel like people who argue that pioneer has no identity i don't think they're correct but sometimes you have to like how do you call it like sort of like go with what people are saying even though it's wrong because public perception is important so if people feel like pioneer has no identity then it has no identity basically which I think is wrong, but a lot of people, if 90% of the player base thinks Pioneer doesn't have an identity and they're going to act like it doesn't have an identity, then we're just going to have to listen to what these people have to say. And yeah, in that way, you and are right. content creators have, yeah, and speaking of that, content creators these days have so much control over what's popular, what can be popular and what isn't popular. So it is really nice to see more and more Pioneer content coming out recently on top of all this yeah yeah for sure uh very happy to see like um like the versus life did one jim davis wrote an article i believe um all of this was before the historic rise we had dom harvey wrote an article i think jeff hoogland played it goldfish played pioneer so it's really nice to get some eyes on it again um by the way this is all like extra championed by tyrant uh in the discord who yes. basically if there's a pioneer video by a popular content creator he'll put it in the chat and be like guys watch it like it leave a comment get this exposure <laughs> he's basically also the one that convinced a couple um he convinced he basically convinced star city games or one of one of the few to play play it again and i wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the few to also convince um seth from mtg goldfish to also take a look at Pioneer. Yeah. So he's done a lot. And the second that challenge came out with the Goblins deck, he tagged Jim Davis on Twitter and it's like, Pioneer Mog Monday when? Right? So <laughs> he's like super... And, and I love Mog Monday, so I really hope we can watch that one. But um, now, we've talked about this card a lot. Again, I'm sad about it. I love Dig Through Time. Um, I think it makes sense. I was... Dick the Time was fine in Pioneer because of the lack of ways yeah. to fuel the graveyard. Now, it's going to change. Yeah, exactly. And as much as I do think that it is kind of part of the identity of this format, I do think that pretty much everyone realized like this is like on borrowed time. Um, yeah. And again, but the timing is just so bad, right? With the popularity spike of this format again, the timing of this card, this specific card, the timing just could not be worse. Um, it's yeah. both options to leave the format B or the bandit. They're both bad. Yeah, exactly. There's there's no real good option here. And 
What I am especially worried about is that Wizards is going to have a really slow reaction time to this. So again, we're going to have a yeah. format that is going to be unfun for a lot of people for two, three, four months. And, you know, there's a lot of fun magic formats right now. Um, I've seen... Standard is looking really fun. Yeah, like people are very excited about post-rotation standard. Um, even though a lot of people like me don't like it, the new historic set is exciting to a lot of people. Uh, a, there's still a lot of exploring to be done in modern. So if you leave Pioneer to be uninteresting for a couple of months, people are just going to leave. And that's something that I'm super worried about. Got all that emotion from a blue cantrip. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, blue makes us cry tears, so... Uh, oftentimes it's tears of joy, but for me. But <laughs> yeah, it can be tears of sadness, but the trick about control is just play the matchup enough and you'll know how to play yeah. against it. Um, so... I. I don't know if you've got anything more to say about consider or finish your thought. Sorry. Yeah, I guess we are kind of obligatory, obligated to mention this because Brad would be overhyped about this, but we did get black and white basic lands. Meh. I, th I hate them. And I think they're fine. They're not my favorite, but they're unique. And I'm very curious on how they actually look in paper, especially in foil. Yeah, my, my problem with them, and there's actually, there's one exception to this one, and it's the mountains. Um, a lot of them, it's very hard to tell, unlike the digital copy at least, what color they are if you'd be across a table. Especially the planes, because they sort of colored the border but they made the planes border white, but the art is black and white. So it, it's it's just black and white. There's nothing to it. The swamp... I think the teamer ones are easier to see. Yeah, like the swamp is... It's purple, but it's kind of dark. So it kind of fades away in the background. Again, digitally, but the red one is super bright. They took a really bright red for it. So I can imagine if you sit across a table, you'll be able to tell it's a mountain. And you'll be able to tell it apart from the forest that is also pretty bright. And the, the island is... It depends on the art. I think on the on the art with sort of like the white middle, it's a lot easier to tell that it's blue compared to the other art that's very busy. Yeah. But that's kind of what I dislike about them. Um... I am. I think there's better full art land options out there. Yeah, that too. They they don't they don't rate high in my book. Um, no, because this is also a problem I've had with triomes, where dual colored lands. It's really easy to tell the colors because you know a silver falls is red on one side and blue on the other. The triomes because they're three colors. Instead of making them like flags, right, where it's just three strokes, they just made them gold. So now I'm against a niv deck. They have three triomes, and I'm like, I don't know, dude, I guess you have your colors. And all of them are the comic book version? Yeah, I just, I just cannot tell those <laughs> apart. It's just like, you have busy picture in your mana base. I'm going to assume you figured it out and you've got your colors. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, when I went to go pick up a lot of my triomes, my LGS that I went to only had the comic book version. So I said, well, I might as well get all of them. <laughs> <laughs> like they in, in they look version. cool but it is really hard to tell 
and yeah this is all you have to think yeah and this is also a little bit it's, it's a little bit of a nitpick but I, I do think it comes up and I, I think it's just always a relevant thing to mention this um some people are gonna look at these and be like oh, i could easily tell them apart it's like but not everyone has eyesight as good as everyone and this came up with the time spiral remastered and a lot of people are like, oh, can we can we just... I think LSV made a tweet. And it's not trying to talk shit about LSV. It just uh, He said, like, can't we just have old borders, right? Everybody loves old borders. Everyone's super excited at this. Why can't we just have this? And we have modern borders. And then someone, I think it was Amy the Amazonian, just pointed out, like, people with... I don't know the exact name for it, but I'll just say people with poorer vision, not trying to be rude, but, like, poorer vision cannot read white old bordered cards because it's white on white and it is just impossible to tell the difference um and i think that's something that matters right same with those sort of like i think it was the secret lair the Kaldheim basics that are basically completely black and white but they have like the symbol in the middle if you're across from someone at a table you can't tell what these cards are and that visual element, at least for me, especially, it's become even more relevant now we've now I've been playing over webcam for almost two years. Right? The visual element is super important and to your game. So if your basics are black and white, I can't see shit. I guess I yeah. guess you're running all swamps, even though all your creatures are white, but you're playing the black and white planes. Yeah. Now, I think there is one topic we could touch on very briefly before uh, closing off. And that is the fact that we already got spoilers for this set. Yeah. Like, I'm tired, Epic. I'm tired. I'm a content creator for Pioneer. I am tired. I haven't even... Some of my adventures in the Forgotten World cards were still in the mail when I got spoilers for this set. Like, I I, I want to have your, your take on this, because uh, I made a tweet, and it was, I think it was liked by, like, a friend of the show, uh, Akros, where I, I'll try and find it. I've been, I've been tweeting about mini motorways. Uh, where can I find it? All right. I basically... <laughs> no, hey, that's a good, good game. Good game. Though. Amazing game. Um... I said, looking at these new spoilers, it makes me want to stop brewing with Adventures in the Forgotten Realm cards. Because A, I've just got spoiler fatigue. Right? The decks I'm building already feel old. Um, and B, because this new set looks so crazy good uh, with the spoilers we've gotten, especially with Consider, where I feel like, why would I tune my Grixis deck? They're going to... Dick Through Time's being banned the next set. Like, why would I care? And it, I'm usually quite a fan of brewing. This just makes me stop brewing. Like, I don't know if this is something you consider, you have to. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm also trying to find a, I think it's a cardboard crack comic about just the amount of. Oh, cardboard crack is amazing. Um, I am so happy they're oh, back. Oh, he's great. Like they were gone for like a year or something. They stopped making comics and now they're back and it's just the best thing ever. So I basically, I made a tweet a couple of days ago where I said that the spoiler system, is, the spoiler season is starting so early 
that it discourages me from brewing. So Adventures in Forgotten Realm is out. I'll tell you, um, I think in like 20, 2018, 2019, when I played a lot, of, a lot of Magic, I hope you still do, but uh, I could probably remember basically every card in any given set that was legal in a format I played. Um, uh, except for Modern, because that went back really far. But like when I played Standard, at least I knew all the cards in all the Standard sets. Now I don't have the, the time to just look through the set, brew a couple of decks, come up with a couple of ideas, because I see, oh, new spoiler season starts two weeks in. Oh, there's a couple of cards in there that are completely bonkers. So I feel like all the decks that I'm brewing are already old. And it stops, it discourages me from brewing. And this has the particular layer on top of it that consider just makes me feel like the best card in my favorite deck is going to get banned. So why would I bother tuning that deck? I don't know if you feel yeah. a bit similar about that. So when I build and play with Pioneer decks, I try to just pick a couple decks I really enjoy playing. Um, in this case, um, my perfect example is, is I, if I had to play only four decks for the rest of Pioneer, it would be Enchantress, Enigmatic, Arcanist, and Spirits. Probably bl the blue-white variant. I just try to pick a couple of decks and say, does this go into my deck? Do I, does it deserve testing? And if it doesn't, I try to remember what that card is and move on to the next card. So for me, I don't think it affects you as much. Like I wouldn't be surprised in a, in a couple of years from now, Fire's Invention is banned for whatever reason. Although I do think it's it's a fine card. The only times where Fire's is stupid is where you can is where you play two spells, your second spell being a Yorion, and then you still have all your mana untapped. Those are the stupid turns. But that's what Fire's does, and the deck's built around Fire's. So I know getting your favorite card banned, I really haven't had that experience before. But I guess this just means the best thing you can do right now is just diversify and find one or two other decks yeah. you also enjoy playing. I'll, but yeah. I'll specify it a little bit because this is obviously, again, like a very specific one because of um, because of Consider being spoiled. But just in general, that the spoiler seasons for new sets start so early that new sets feel old already. Yeah, there's no need to, for a spoiler season to begin for a set that comes out in... When? I don't know, like two months? Is it going to be like... Is it a September set? It's probably a September set. Um, Let's see. Um, Here's the fandom. It, it says Innistrad Midnight Hunt releases in a month. I just went to Watson Standard. September 24th. So it's August 9th right now. And it's going to be releasing in... On the 24th, which is, a, which is the last Friday of September. So about a month and two weeks, about six weeks. Seven, eh, six weeks, seven weeks, seven, six, seven weeks. That's way, like, maybe if you, like, teased one card, like, this far out, or two cards, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But the fact is, we just got D&D, and then they just spoiled a 700-plus card set, 800-plus card set, I think. And now you're giving us new cards on top of that. There's no need. For, it's not necessary. Yeah, there's no there's no need to like generate hype because the hype is still there. Um, yeah. And I think another point that really bumped me about this is we're gonna get this like they're doing like this tag team set. It's like oh we've got werewolves and we've got vampires, and then we're gonna give you some teasers, and neither of them are vampires or werewolves. 
Like, they basically well, just spoiled gas. But it's like, the, the gas almost gets me less excited, because again, I now I kind of just want to play with these cards. But I think they're going to do the werewolf uh, transformation thing differently. I think they were going to say that's that. why I think they said that because yes. the werewolf mechanic sucks. Like it's just the it wor- it's the, the, the worst mechanic. Uh, Can confirm. I have a werewolf tribal deck in commander. Yeah, and, and if you if you don't have full moon, the deck doesn't work, right? <laughs> it's the fact is everyone always plays spells. You need to play like a, a sub theme of punish of a punisher effect. Yeah. Um, so it's like so like blood moon in in commander basically. <laughs> like you have, or like destroy all non all non basic things. It's really it's not the terrible and higher powered multicolored decks, but if, if people are just playing basic lands and what a ton of and a ton of them, it's not going to feel nice. And uh, it's it's kind of funny with a rule of law effect. They're just they can never actually get to casting two spells. Except yeah. I guess instant yeah. speed. Do you still get messed up sometimes? Um, um, not typically because you can still. The idea of that deck is. To allow yourself to cast spells not during your turn, so you can just pass the turn, but there's not enough payoffs in Gruel to do that. Um, I guess you can run counter. But I mean, Sea Time is a magic card, but it's like it's weak. But uh, the the point I was getting to is, they could have spoiled like a draft common werewolf that just showed us that mechanic how they changed it. And I think the issue there is they want to save like the werewolf and how the mechanic works for the official stream. The the official stream when yeah, they I think, begin releasing cards. They could even like pre- get, show like a vampire and like Soren is in the art, so we know Soren's there. We know what the aesthetic of the vampires is, and maybe because it's a vampire set, I'm gonna assume there's gonna be like green vampires or something. Right, because no, this is not the vampire set. No, I know, but they they come at the same time. Midnight Hunter. No, they don't. I thought they were going to come at the same time. No, I thought that was the whole gimmick where both sets were going to come out at the exact same time. Oh, oh yeah, November nineteenth. So at least either at the same time or like super close after each other. But even then, in this one, I don't know. Show us like a werewolf in a color we haven't seen a werewolf in before. And it's like, look, guys, werewolves are in white too. Whatever, right? Or or a werewolf payoff in white so you don't have to showcase the new mechanic. But at least show us cards that are just, like, cool and get people excited for the right ways. Because we're currently still looking at what the best cards are in Adventure in the Forgotten Realms. We don't need to look at the best cards in Midnight Hunt yet. Just give us something cool, or just don't give us anything. We, we we didn't actually need anything, but no, we didn't. Pioneer was in a great spot. But even like, I don't even get it for like standard and stuff. It just gets people even more excited for rotation, which they already are. So people are even less encouraged to play the game now. So we didn't even need spoilers, and then they're also, at least in my opinion, giving us the wrong spoilers, right? Yeah, shock with upside. Okay, cool. Right, join the dance is a good spoiler. Right, it's 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 kind of cool art. You're thinking like, what what's going on there? We're dancing druid looking humans. Hmm. Oh, cool. Flashbacks back. That's that's a good spoiler. A, a good teaser. Play with fire isn't a good teaser because it's just okay. Shock but better. Cool. 
there's 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 imps, I guess. I mean, we already knew that because it's Innistrad. Okay. Infernal Grasp. Oh wow, vampire-y boy doing deadly things. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming on Innistrad. So it's just they're weird spoilers. And Champions of Paris is basically a joke, not in terms of its power level, but it is. Ha ha! Look at that. Look, it's the human card, but he's dead. Yeah. I don't care. Really. So overall, I am probably very, like, the least excited for a set I've been in a long time, due to spoiler fatigue and consider. But overall, personal bias aside, the first look of the set is, like, this is probably going to be a pretty cool set. It is. Yeah, it seems like a solid set. Yeah, it, it looks like a set that will shake things up. Because even though lower-powered set sets are exciting for standard, because it just generally makes for more fun standard environments when the format is a little bit lower, uh, the power, it makes it a little bit less exciting for eternal formats. Where, like, it, it's not very exciting if, like, Strixhaven comes out and all we get is Niv gets a removal spell. And yeah. nothing else really changes. So that's cool about this. But... I also hope they don't take it too far, because if this is the spoiler for the set, like the teaser, what on earth is the rest of this set going to look like? Yeah, I think a lot of formats are just going to pick up and pace again, like, um, except for maybe Standard, and Historic is its own animal at this at this point. Historic is the... It, it's off my radar, to be honest. They're, yeah. they're getting, like, Affinity and, and Dragon's Rage Channeler... And all these weird perpetual cards and random cards is like, I'm, I'm out. I don't know do what's legal about, in this format. Do you want to talk about Magic Worlds? Magic Worlds? Do you want to even think about, yeah, well, the World Championship for, for Magic? Oh, yeah, that that's the great thing what they did with competitive. I have no idea when this even is. I don't know what format they're playing, and I don't know how you qualify. Was it this thing where they screwed people? That's the one where they screwed people out of a whole bunch of money, right? Yeah, but that they fixed that. Oh. They backtracked and fixed it. Good. Eh, so once they got a lot of shit, yeah, they of. Yep. started acting normally again. Okay. But but what about it? If they, imagine the the pro players having to play on arena for worlds, specifically historic. I think it's gonna be truly awful. Yep. It was nice knowing you're L seven. Yeah, like if yeah, it's gonna be really it's really weird for me anyway. But I'll be honest, I feel like worlds. It's the problem that they we've we've talked about on the cast before. Magic does not make for a good esport. The the people that watch the world championship and watch the pro tours and stuff, I feel like they are the enfranchised players. I think a lot of enfranchised players do not give a rat's ass about historic. So if they're gonna play historic on arena at the world champ now arena i understand the necessity because covid and you get people in from all around the world probably not a good idea to shove 400 people from all around the world in one place i get it well world is all is a is a small well oh yeah including all the staffing and whatnot yeah yeah also but i i don't even know like is is world's big now is it small now is it i i have been so disconnected 20 i think it's 24 players it's it's a small. Oh, okay. like, I've I have been so disconnected from paper magic, uh, from competitive magic at this point. 
I think it's this. I believe they're still doing qualifications for worlds, and they're still figuring out where everyone's going for the last on for the um, last um, season. Because after um, this season, there's one last season. Yeah, and then the MPL's over, right? Yep. Which they also teased with an announcer of an announcement that they will have more plans in the future, maybe, but we'll see. I would trust Star City Games more so. If I wasn't living in Europe, where SCG doesn't do any events, I would feel the same. But we actually rely on GPs here to have as our big magic. Now, I am living in the Netherlands. I have the... Uh, we have the organizers, which I believe are still there and are continuing, of the Dutch Open series, which is like our version of the, I mean, the very small SCG tour, because we have three events a year. But they are like the three to four, but they are the big magic events in the Netherlands. So we have our little circuit, which is uh, fueled by a lot of German players, funnily enough, because you can't do a lot of events in Germany due to their gambling law. So gambling law, so they just come over here. So generally, if I go to a Magic event, half my games are against Germans. And the downside is, they're generally pretty good Magic players. (laughs) (laughs) No, so what you do, Alex, what you do is you come over to the States, you come join Brad, and maybe I can even be, and we all go to an SCG event. I would absolutely love to do that at a time. Would be a very very expensive trip, but it would be very worth it, I think. I'd love to. And, yeah. the, and then we all go and, to like Atlanta. Yeah, and then you guys can also show me around like all this strange American cuisine that Brad always talks about. <laughs> Where he talks about again, and you go to like thing that's like twenty four seven breakfast, and you walk in, and it always looks kind of like a place where you could be killed, but the food's good. And the thing, I just want to know what this aesthetic is, right? <laughs> I think Brad would do more. Will be the will be the tour guide. I was just saying, <laughs> yep, sounds about right. And you're just a full on tours, taking all the pictures and all that. <laughs> This is all so strange. It's like I'm in, like I'm in a different world. <laughs> well, it's a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I dare close my eyes. Uh, <laughs> Adventure waits around every corner. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to do. Uh, I want to make sure we actually keep up on the mailbag. And now that I've got you here, we can have your sense about it too. Quick run. The question is from what is it asked for? From Lemon Lyman, great name. Um, what are the factors holding back hardened scales? There's quite some. Even though we've we had Walking Ballista banned, but even since then we've had like a couple of pretty decent cards with uh, Conclave Mentor and the like Hydra from Zendikar. Like, what's holding back hardened scales from actually being a deck again? For me, I think it's the speed speed of the deck. I, it's it can get really fast, really big, pretty quickly. But I don't think it has that resiliency or the speed to get there fast enough. Yeah, like it has all, all the pieces. It has a one drop enabler, a two two drop enablers to go Abzan, because I think that's where you go, and and the payoff at the top end with Bath Bath Bath's lieutenant. Like it has all of that. Just I don't think the speed is there. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I've I've tried. We never actually ended up doing it because planning and you know what? six hour time difference. We, do you know how many fast lanes we have for Abzan? One. Do you know how many? One. Concealed Courtyard. Yeah, that doesn't... Ha- oh, no, you have Concealed Courtyard and Blooming Marsh. So we've got two. Oh, yeah, Blooming Marsh. Okay, I forgot. Um, but that does... But that is skills is base green. Yeah, that's base black and you want the base green. So you want the Celestia one. Um, 
That that's actually a pretty good one. The mana is just not ideal. Um, and you don't have a triome. Like yeah, you, the, in, no. Upsom does, have, one of three does have the triomes. Oh, it does. Uh, I forget my cycles. But it print is the bant one. It is it, print the Grixis one, please. I want a Grixis triome so badly. Um, Fair enough. But yeah, I, there, there's still the mana is shaky. It's not perfect. Uh, that's definitely a brick problem. Just if you finish the Fastland cycle, that helps. Um, I tried to build a collected company ups on deck, um, which felt which like seemed okay. I I haven't had the chance to play it. I kind of just brewed it up. Uh, Brad and I a while ago had this sort of like um, ups on versus Mardu challenge, where we're sort of like let's try wedges that never see play. Um, I do have to accept. I think the other issue with Abzan is just the card quality compared to other yeah. other um, three colors. Um, I have experienced this myself. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a good point there too. I think my biggest point in what holds um, scales back is that scales will end up being an aggro deck. Right, it, it's basically an aggro deck, but it yeah. is a synergistic aggro deck. And the problem with that is, is that you're often just better off playing good stuff. Because uh, you've got, like, these enablers that need to live, and you primarily want to start on, like, your one your one play set of a one-mana enchantment, and it makes a very big difference. Turn one hardened skills or no turn one hardened skills is a huge difference in how well your deck is going to perform. Because going hardened skills into... Um, two drop enabler and then on turn three you start doing disgusting things those draws differ wildly if you don't have that hardened skills on turn one and because of that i feel like you're better off just playing good stuff why would i play yeah. an upzon aggro deck that has wonkier mana is gonna deal itself more damage has no room for utility lands and has inconsistent draws when i could just play mono black and have yeah. none of those problems so it it's the classical the juice is not worth the squeeze. I think I don't think scales is bad. If if you are a big fan of scales, uh, I think there is a deck to be had there. But if we're looking at challenges and that sort of thing, yeah, people are gonna pick the consistent good decks. That's also why, even though I genuinely think Grixis is a perfectly fine control deck, people just play blue black because it's just smoother. So why add the clunk? Yeah, and I think you'd rather play Esper over Grixis at a tier one competitive standpoint. Yeah, yeah. If if I would, sorry, sorry, Alex. Yeah, I know. If if I would build my deck to be optimal, I would just go straight Demir, and if I would splash for something, I would probably splash White because I want to play Vanishing Verse. Um. So why add the clunk? And for me, it's add the clunk because I think it's fun, and I play Magic to have fun. So if you don't enjoy mono black and you love scales and you're like, why add the clunk? And for you, it's, well, because I'll have more fun. So go ahead. But from a winning standpoint, it's too clunky. Yeah. Now, with that being said, we have gone on. We had a bit of a break, but we've probably been on for about after cutting this will probably be over two hours. With that being said. Um, first of all, Epic, I want to thank you for tagging along. Uh, you were first going to be here to be the um, 
Enigmatic Fires expert, but now you were actually just the co-host because Brad couldn't make it, and I had a blast, so thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for allowing me to be on again. Yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll have you on in the future again. I, I had a great time. I really enjoy your takes. So, um, Epic, I do know Epic through the Playaway Discord, which we are, um, at least that's where you find our Maybook, we are associated with. You can come join us on the Playaway Discord. You can find us on Twitter over at, at ComePlayAway. Uh, is there any other place where people will be able to find you, Epic? So technically, I do have a Twitter since last time. Um, you can fi- I don't post on there. I, I retweet every so often at most. Um, but you can find me at, at Sir Epic underscore Epicness. Um, just like my username from past, if you've known me for long enough. Um, feel free to reach out to me in any way, shape, or form you see me. Um, if you know, I, I use the same icon as my character profile on Discord, so you can't miss me. Perfect. Uh, you can find me over uh, at Disciple of Bolas. You can find our usuals, Brad, on at Bradsifer on basically everything. I don't know if he's already made a Bradsifer MySpace, but he'll probably have it soon enough. <laughs> um, we also host weekly events. We have our bi-monthly invitationals. Exactly. It's always fun to play a watch, play and watch, depending on. And if I'm in it, um, it'll, I would probably wouldn't be surprised if I was a, if I was a favorite to win. Yeah, um, Epic has generally, I think you, I think statistically your win rate of entering invitationals and then actually just winning the whole thing is like pretty ridiculous. It's like a, it's like a, like either 50 or 60% yeah. right now. So if Epic's in the it, tournament, so you... With eight people on top of a leaderboard, it's, it's up there. Yeah, so um, we also have a YouTube for the uh, Playaway where you can see my run through the previous Invitational, which took way too long to edit because I had to learn editing by myself, which was an adventure. Um, I had things... You went pretty deep, right? Yeah, I I, went, I, I went to the finals. Um, so I had a pretty... I, I know you lost, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, it, it was a shorter tournament because we had a bunch of people who couldn't make it for multiple reasons, but I, did, I do think they're fun matches to watch. Uh, especially if you want to play a bunch of mono, want to watch a mono, bunch of mono black aggro, uh, because I played against that deck, I think three out of four rounds <laughs> or something. Um, but if you go back a couple of invitations ago, I played like a lot against control with enigmatic. If you want to take a look at like old enigmatic and just the old pile, it's on the YouTube, I believe. Yeah, yeah, the old invitational vaults are also on the YouTube, and now. I was wrecking my brains of what the other thing is that we have. We are also associated with Inked Gaming. There will be a link in the description of this podcast where there's a link directly to our artist space uh, page where you can obviously buy like the Playaway uh, playmat or the Pioneer Perspective playmat. But there's also an affiliate link. So even if you don't buy our stuff, if you buy anything on Inked Gaming through that link, it'll also help out the show. So... With all that being said, and me having to stitch together the show because Brad usually does it, um, I once again uh, want to thank Epic for being on. I want to thank everyone for watching, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. See ya.